Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. everybody and welcome along to Midweek Motorsport Series 10 episode 40 something as Three. we have to say now 43 Three. apparently says 3 is the magic number I used to live at a 43 I've never lived at a 43 I've lived at a number 3 I've lived at I've 103 I've lived at a 34 as well how exciting is this name exciting road numbers you've lived at uh, welcome to everybody as you've heard Nick Damon uh, our MotoGP and Formula One correspondent is with us. Up in London is our executive producer, Tim Gray. And on a packed programme tonight, Tim, we have what? We have all the usual features. Oh, I'm very excited. Congratulations, by the way, on a very good 10th anniversary show on Monday. I enjoyed that a lot. That will be up for podcast at the end of is this show, yeah. I was going to say, are you going to play it again at the end of this show? Is that mm, the plan? Could do. Would you like to do that? We, we can have a go at replay. But it'll definitely be podcasted at the end of this show, as good. will this show. Good, because I'm driving home and I'm about to listen to it again. <laughs> <laughs> Did you not listen to it last night, Nick? No, it was Monday. I was, I Sorry, was, Monday I, night. I was, at the, I was at the cinema seeing the last day of Sicaro before everything at the cinema now is Spectre. No, you yeah. can't say it like that. You have to say Spectre. There's 197,000 showing Spectre and no other films are on. I did uh, actually watch Spectre on Monday night. Um, very quickly, because I've had massively differing opinions about this, the mainstream, who's obviously being paid a lot of money uh, to advertise in their publications from the makers of the film, are all saying it's brilliant, but the trade press are saying it's overlong, cliched, lacking any kind of luster whatsoever and just not very good at all so it's definitely not the best Bond film uh, is it better not, than Quantum of Solace? it's not in the top half of Bond films I would say mm. how many have there been? 22? 4 oh really? Um, so it's I would say it's in the bottom third oh dear dear all those people have paid that much money to have their products in it um, doesn't matter if I how many Aston Martin DB10s are they going to sell? None. None. None, because the car's never going to be for sale. Indeed. Mark Land Rover. Yeah, the Land Rover. Anyway, anyway Land stop, 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 uh, stop. Did end up being destroyed mainly. Don't stop. say that. Not I a good advert. Stop. Later on in this show. <laughs> Thank you. I will uh, do a story which has parallels with a uh, plotline from Spectre. So if you don't want to know what happens in the film. Uh, you'll need to turn away your ears at that point, but we'll give you a bit of warning for that. Okay. Uh, uh, we also right, have uh, 
uh, irregular feature of uh, Racing Driver's Tweet of the Week. Oh, OK. <laughs> so, shall we do that now? Yeah, cool. Uh, this week it comes from Matt Housen. OK. Ooh, oh, uh, I'm a bit scared now. Who tweeted yesterday, um, just as he had got onto an aeroplane. Right, what did he say? I'm he in says, a big seat. Currently three there, rows mate. ahead of Anthony Davidson and Mike Conway. Probably the only time I can say <laughs> that this year. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very good. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport Series 10, episode 43. Shall we crack on with a bit of news then? Go on then. Play the jingle. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. And our top story tonight for the second, for the second week, week in a row. For the second week in a row is MotoGP. MotoGP, oh. yes, because MotoGP has had two races on consecutive weeks. It has. Which it doesn't do very often, but it has done uh, this week. And uh, it was uh, not as good a race as uh, Phillip Island. I don't think no, we'll see one uh, as good as Phillip Island for no. a very long time. Um, However, I would like to make a little suggestion here about uh, the race in Malaysia. Uh Mark Marquez is MotoGP's equivalent of Gustavo Yakaman. (laughs) Possibly. uh, Or is Valentino Rossi? No. No. Okay. um, I'm being devil's advocate. Well, yes. I I think for those of you not following the soap opera, which is now MotoGP... Let's go back... Taking taking last week uh, as uh, our cue, let's go back, way back in time. A whole week and a half. Right, let's go back to last Thursday, right? Well, no, we need to go, yes, last Thursday. You need to go back further than that. No, 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 you need to go, uh, I think you only need to go back to last Thursday for this, because Valentino Rossi... They had the driver's press conference. The pre-event press conference, like the things that I I will be... um, uh, hosting it in China this weekend, and of course you can submit your questions to uh, FIAWEC, ask ask WEC mm-hmm. on the hashtag. Uh, and Valentino Rossi, as described by Keith Hewan, who is the lead commentator for Sky Sports MotoGP mm-hmm. coverage, and a very nice bloke. BT Sport. What did I say? Sky, Sky Sports. I'm sorry. BT Sport, you're absolutely right, um, and uh, lives not too far from uh, here at Hindhoff Towers, uh, and is a former motorcycle competitor as well. He was a very good 350 rider. Yeah, it's very a GP racer, it's not in the, in the in the nasty times. Yes, in absolutely. the 80s, yeah. And in fact, commented on my first ever car race. Really? For TV, yes, he did. Well, I'm sure that's the highlight of his career. Um, <laughs> and Keith Hewitt, I think, summed up. What Valentino Rossi did very nicely. He said he rolled a hand grenade in, which then rolled back under him and blew him up. Because what he basically said, Nick, and I'm paraphrasing here massively, mm. but he basically said that he'd rewatched the tapes from Phillip Island and felt that Mark Marquez was A, playing with everybody, and B, overtly trying to help. Uh, Lorenzo win the championship instead of a Valle. Yes. And the reason being is because he blames Valle for the accident in Argentina where he ran over Valle's Valentina's back wheel and it's 
did who knows and uh, he also blamed and the last corner at Assen yes. so he basically thinks well it's not very fair it's down to you I'm not going to win this world championship so I'm going to help my fellow Spaniard even though Jorge Lorenzo isn't even popular in Spain um, whereas Mark Marquez is and he threw that under going and interestingly in qualifying um, first nearly when they went out the pit for the first run of the, the, the three no 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 doing. stop 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 we've got to go back to that first of all because that immediately caused ripples, did it not? Well, yes, because it's it's an odd thing to do when you're um, chasing for a championship, and it's very close at that point. I think it was 10, 11 points between them. And two... we should say as well, Nick, in fairness, it wasn't just what he said, it was the manner in which Valentino Rossi hmm. said, now, I'm going to put my hands up and declare an interest. I am a massive Valentino Rossi fan. Not a fanboy, but a fan. I think, like a lot of people, that he has probably... Not single-handedly, but certainly had a massive hand in saving MotoGP in the last four or five years. He has been uh, what no. has kept it Laugh. above water. Doesn't? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, I'll agree. <laughs> However, this was a shock to everybody in what he said, but also in the way that he said it. And by that, Mark Marquez was there, Lorenzo was there, and when he was talking about Marquez, he said, him... He wouldn't look at him. He wouldn't point at him. He never mentioned his name. He was very dismissive. The body language was appalling. Um, Lorenzo didn't get involved. Lorenzo just wouldn't look at anybody. Mark Marquez was clearly not very happy about it. No, and I think you know, th- I think a lot of this comes into the fact that um, I think as, as and the eventual result, which we'll get to later, comes to the fact that, that Valentino Rossi, as far as he's concerned, is is the big dog. And he is the big dog of MotoGP, and he and, and he, he should, you know, what he says should go, and he should, you know, he has schooled, to use an American term, many a rider, uh, both on and off the track in the past 15 years. But you know, he's, you know, let's not be, let's not beat around the bush. His powers as a MotoGP rider are waning at 36, mm-hmm. and when you're against a 22-year-old, you know, so he's. And we've mentioned what a fabulous season he's had. He's only not yeah. been on the podium two times, uh, twice rather in the. In the season so far, and he's I, he's been he's been absolutely unbelievable. Yeah, and I think he, he wanted a professional. I think he also wanted to make sure that if he felt that Marquez was playing silly boys, he didn't want him to play again in Malaysia, where going to the race, everyone would expect it to be a as long as Pedro the right Pedroza turned up, as it turned up the right Pedroza did turn up, mm. it would be a Honda one two, and therefore Valentino going right, don't muck about. Just disappear and do your one-two, and then I'll either be one ahead of, I'll either be ahead of Lorenzo or behind Lorenzo. Either way, the points loss isn't too much, and I'll go to to Valencia with seven or eight or nine points in the lead. Yeah, yeah. Now, what then happened was that everyone said it's ridiculous, it's rich, not, you know, there's kind of a whole why are you doing this? But you know, he he put that out. He, he's trying to see the sow seed of doubt. He's doing the, the mind game things that many professional sportsmen try. I personally thought it was a mistake, and I think a lot of people did. But you know, you don't know. Well, a lot of people sort of atmosphere. raised an eyebrow and said sure about that but the obvious conclusion from that is whether or now I have to say I went back and watched the video again and I can see why Valentino might have thought that the video by the way that is never going to be deleted from my DVR yeah I mean it was he did yeah the fact was that once Marquez had mucked about for a while he and throw yeah he then did seem to be able to gain very quickly on Lorenzo at the back end of the race yep. he made three quarters second in the last lap but Fastest lap of the race in the last lap on also, worn tyres. Yeah, yeah, level of worn tyres. And I think that's what, what Rossi had gone. Look, he's, he's gone back, playing with me, you know, get, pushed me back into the the 
grips of Iannone and away from Lorenzo and then just won the race anyway. So I can see where the the idea came from in Valentino's head, why he decided he wanted to talk about it, who knows. Um, so the first evidence on track was in qualifying when something um, happens that never happens is that Marcus actually dragged Lorenzo around the first qualifying run. He let Lorenzo follow him. So... In fairness, though, Valle did a phenomenal yeah, job just, in qualifying. You know, he pulled out a lap from nowhere. Sometimes being annoyed makes you quicker. Yeah. Anyway, so they go, go into the race with uh, Pedroza on pole. Uh, the, the right Pedroza had turned up. Marquez second. Rossi third. And uh, Lorenzo fourth. And off they go in that order. And Lorenzo catches up and gets to, to Valle off the first lap. And then... Well, Lorenzo had a bad start and dropped behind the two Ducatis. But he got them three and then, in. And then immediately yeah. got them back. And then he got past Valle, and then he got up to the back of Mar- Marquez. Yeah, now Marquez, and the thing to remember is the, the Hondas around Sepang have always been quicker. Pedroza was quicker, and but, but for some reason, Lorenzo found it really, really easy to get past Marquez, um, and with no retaliation, and just off he went. When um, Rossi started get, trying to get through or near or around uh, Marquez. Marquez basically just got involved in a in a dogfight with him. Uh, and as anybody knows, two drivers fighting are not as fast as a driver going as fast as a rider goes. Sorry, sorry, driver. A rider goes fast as they can. So they were, they were dropping off Lorenzo at the rate of about one second to one point two seconds a lap. So about three or four seconds in, sorry, three or four laps in, they were four four seconds back. And and effectively, Rossi basically decided. Marquez was playing, deliberately pulling him back, and you know, just causing trouble. And you know, if you looked at some of the, the, the action, there was a lot of very aggressive overtaking from Marquez and some equally uh, aggressive overtakes back, and there was some you know, blocking and this sort of stuff. And then on, on lap eight, we come to the, the talking point of the weekend. And coming on to the final corner before the, the back straight, before the, the start-finish straight, so anyone who knows Sepang knows there's a big V uh, going either side of the main grandstand, which borders the, the pit uh, Rossi deliberately tried to run um, Marquez out wide not run him off the road just run him out wide now the reason why he would want to do that is A because I think he was annoyed but mostly because he knew that the speed of the Honda would get him passed down those two straights so if he could make Marquez Stand have, up, a, have a rotten power out he reckoned he could stay ahead with enough gap going into turn one that he could, he could finally make a break that was the idea but in he, my mind and he, he also wanted to go what are you doing Right, but you need to go back right to the moment that those guys started fighting um, for position because Rossi pulled off a couple of brilliant overtakes, uh, Marquez pulled off a couple of brilliant overtakes, mm-hmm. but Marquez never drove away. No. He never rode away from Valley at all when at the front of the field, Pedroza was gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, two things there. Was there that much difference between the two Hondas? And some people who were watching at the time, including the, the UK TV commentator, said, Marcus's bike isn't right, he's sliding around. Right, you and I both know you can provoke that kind of thing. Um, however, that might have been something. But also, Valentino was getting wound up because he was seeing the two guys ahead disappearing. Also, I would submit to the court that Valentino had backed himself, painted himself into a corner in the biggest possible way by saying what he said at the press conference, by saying that Marquez was helping his his, uh, championship rival, by saying that he'd been playing silly whatnots at Phillip Island. What he had now was the perfect storm, and then he's beginning to get himself wound up. Yeah, yeah. 
And the other side of it was that there... Now, I've never raced motorcycles. No. However, many people who have, including Eugene Laverty, have been uh, very, very vocal about Marquez getting involved at all in the fight for the championship. And Eugene said on Twitter that the unwritten rule had been broken, that Marquez got involved and got involved in a massive way. I I would also submit that some of Marquez's overtaking manoeuvres on Valentino, on Rossi, were marginal. And on anyone else other than Rossi, who is supremely in control of his motorbike, would have taken them both down at, at very, very high speeds. Valentino also, at one stage, turned round, looked at him, basically gave him the finger, or at least waved at him at one stage, and let him know that he wasn't very happy. Yeah, I, it, it was a, a petulant display by both of them. I agree. Um, Marquez, Disapp- should, Marquez shouldn't have been involved. Marquez basically decided to go out and prove the point, because Marquez certainly was, uh, at that point, doing uh, fighting the championship and fighting Lorenzo's corner. So in, in that respect then, was Keith Hewen on BT Sport right then to say that the hand grenade that the pin had been pulled out by Valentino at the it, press conference, well, had it, rolled it, back and exploded in his no, face. No, because it depends entirely whether you interpret Marquez's uh, performance in Phillip Island as doing the same thing. If well, you think that whether it mucking, did or it didn't. Whether you think he was mucking about with him in, if you think he was mucking about with him uh, in Phillip Island, then you have to say Valentino was right to speak up and he just did it again. If you think no, it was paranoia, which is who knows, mm-hmm. then he was wrong. But then you think, why is Marquez not rising above this? Why is Marquez not go, trying to go out and win a race? Why is he deciding to get involved with this? What is his I, reason I, for I that? I think the point that I'm trying to make there is whether or not it was right or wrong in Phillip Island, does the fact that Valentino's even suggested it rile up Marquez to the point where he says, well, if you think that's what I'm doing, I'm normally well those, going to do normally, it. those sort of statements are made to raise the awareness of the race officials and the race stewards. And That's, unfortunately... It's like Mourinho talking about the referee. Unfortunately, the stewards, once again, I'm afraid, did nothing at all. Well, we actually get the get the incident itself. is it, Luckily, because it's literally all over Facebook, everyone must have seen it. Because it's, if you everyone, haven't gone and looked everyone has broken the copyright, and in some ways, it's such a major, major thing. What can you say? You know, it's a 12-second clip that's come off MotoGP. Fine. The fact is that if you you can look at it in either way, if you're a Rossi fan, you look at it one way. If you're a Lorenzo or Marquez fan, you look at the other way. The indisputable fact is. Right. Hang on. They, they, no, no. Hang, hang on. on. Let me, let, no, 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 no. Let 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 me let me give let me give because I've been very vocal recently about driving standards. Right. Not to everybody's liking. Um, on mainly on stuff that I've been calling life, and I, you know, and I'll stand by everything that I've said in the last few weeks, both at the Renault race and at the Fuji race. And I said at both of those, you cannot condone people taking the law into their own hands and retaliating. Now I've I've declared my interest that I am a huge Valentino Rossi fan. I think what he did in standing up and pushing Marquez wide in that corner, I think he he stepped over a line. 
I think that was wrong. However, in mitigation, I will say I can understand why he felt he was being provoked to do that, although I think part of that was he backed himself into a corner. And it was the slowest corner on the circuit bar the, the last hairpin. Mm-hmm. He and he and I absolutely believe he didn't mean to take him down, and we'll come on to that in a moment. However, I'll say this right now: I think for what Valentino did, he should have been disqualified. Couldn't disagree with you more. Right. You now something I think we do agree on. About, I'm going to disagree uh, with that. Right, hang on. I, the one thing that I want to say is that I don't think Valentino pushed Marquez off. I think he was defending at the point where his his knee came out. The frame by frame, well, as I they think, come together, I, I think actually the... shows Marquez headbutting deliberately. Well, you can't but, know whether it was deliberate. Well, he, he's got enough control of his bike to know how far he's lent off it. He his head comes into contact with Rossi's knee in a manner which could be avoided. Rossi basically does the kind of thing, the get-off-me movement of his leg. And at that point, suddenly, Mark Marquez, the two-time world champion and the youngest world champion ever, and the winner of many races, forgets how to ride and falls off at the safest possible speed in a championship he's no longer involved in. Now, the fact is, Rossi put himself in the position for that to happen. Mm-hmm. I don't believe what he did was anything other than effectively what we would call in motor racing, in four-wheel racing, a block pass. And block passes are completely legal. No, I disagree. Well, you can disagree, but I'm saying he basically wanted to put, to put his, his... If he hadn't been he looking at them to, and making the point, to, well, I'd agree he, with The you. whole point about it is it's such a personal space. You've got such much better idea what people are seeing on motorcycles. You can see the, the whole body language. But the point is, he was trying to put his motorcycle in such a position that he would severely restrict the ability for Marquez to get down that main straight where he was quicker. Now, the fact that he was looking at Marquez and he waved at him and he got wound up, that's a Absolutely, he shouldn't have done that. That's not what you should do. That's not how a nine-time world champion should behave. But, you know, we all lose a rag. But I don't think what he did, actually, and I know you don't agree with me, I don't think what Rossi did, or even the outcome of that, warranted any action. No, you see, I disagree because I think he was retaliating. For what? Retaliating for Marquez getting involved where he shouldn't have been, in Valentino's mind. All his retaliation was, all his retaliation was, was to take away... The ideal racing line, and in fact, to put to make tried to run him off the track. Nick. No, he didn't. He never. No, he never ran him off the track. He ran him wide. It's completely different. There was a I quite a lot of track running left off the track. Yeah. Of running off the track. Okay. Absolutely, that's not what you should do. Even in, even in the first call in America, you don't run people off tracks. But running them as wide as you can to give them a rotten run out. Yeah, it's not. Queensbury rules, but it's a rough it world in motorcycle racing. It's a di- but it's a different world in motorcycle racing. You've got to have more respect from that. Yeah. However, I I he didn't I, expect, he didn't had no idea that, that, that he was going to get you know, the equivalent yeah, the equivalent of a you know a 1980s Italian winger falling over the mere breath on his knee. I don't think that Marquez needed to lean into Rossi when he did, and no, I and I think that the response of Rossi was to push him off his bike. I am um, now. I have to say that I hadn't thought about this uh, when I watched it live, but you saying you're effectively saying that you think Marquez went down on purpose. Yes, absolutely. And you've said, and, and I hadn't. I'll be honest with you, I hadn't even considered that at all. The uh, having, but having you having said that. 
and knowing what first of all seeing the re- reaction of Rossi when he looked both sides as much as to say where's he gone why is he fallen over secondly knowing how brilliant Marquez is and how he can pick a, a bike up you see off him, his you elbow see him save it in qualifying yeah exactly exactly and now you've said that and I have to say I have doubts but I will I'm going to go back to what I said about the stewarding and this is going to be a I'm afraid something that I'm going to now have to make one of my cause celebres. The stewards in World Championship motor racing on two and four wheels, I'm afraid, are not fit for purpose. They are not fit for purpose. We've seen that over the last couple of weeks, that they are unable to make decisions that either quick enough or in the right way for the good of the sport and for the safety of the sport. And at the weekend, the stewards copped out. So what would you have given? Disqualification. What would you have done to Marquez? Disqualification. Doesn't really affect Marquez, though, because he didn't finish the race. Doesn't matter. I would literally have just have done... I had him in the room. I'd have read in the right act. Marquez, I would have given points on his licence because... Um, then any further transgression would have taken him out of the fight. I think what the stewards did on Sunday, or the steward, because it's a race director who makes it an, in MotoGP, it's a race director who makes it in uh, on his own. Um, and he is a very experienced person. I think that was a weak decision. I think it was a cop-out decision. He gave points to, Mark, to um, Valentino, um, which were not enough to have moved him to the back of the grid if Valentino hadn't already got a point on his licence. He's moved him to the back of the grid, which has effectively ended any spectacle at, at Valencia. And it would have been far better to take 16 points from him and disqualify him and say, Valentino, you're a nine times world champion. That is not what I want to see. That is not the kind of... I don't care how much you wound up. I've said this before and been criticised for it. In motion, in a race, on two or four wheels, behind the handlebars of the wheels, there is no place for emotion on the track. Be emotional about how you race. Be, you know, have as care as much about the sport as you will. But you have to be cold and calculated when you're there. Because as soon as you start being emotional behind the wheel, whether it's on the track or on the road, you make bad decisions. And Valentino Rossi made a bad decision there. And it's something that does not become him and his legacy. Don't think it affects his legacy at all. I, I absolutely do. I absolutely don't. I well. I t- so I tell you what, I don't believe that anybody who wasn't a fan has become a fan, and anybody who was a fan has stopped being a fan because I, what he actually did was just go in, in the words of the 1970s footballer, he went in hard. But he actually went in fair because he wasn't running him off the road, and he didn't. Uh, he did not instigate any contact. And he didn't want to get. No, no, he went in I hard but that. fair. And I'm. And it's. And I understand where you come from. It's very different when you're piloting a 700 or 8, 900 kilogram LMP2 car against an LMP2 car through a high speed. This is. It was done. You could see the reason he was doing it. Get the rather straight. It was done at one of the slowest corners going on. The person next to him chose to fall over. In my opinion. And right. if you, did you see him? He fell. Up, he, did, he literally fell over about four miles now, and he didn't. You know, there was no right. danger of any injury or anything. So here's the thing, though. My point is, right? 
my point about the decision being wrong, right, is the stewards have clearly felt that there was a case to answer. The steward, the race director, felt there was clearly a case to answer by Valentino Rossi. If there's, if they feel that and they believe that, then they've got to disqualify him, or they've got to at least give him a time penalty and and demote him down the order. They don't. What they do is, and I think I can use this word on radio, they have a half-assed decision <laughs> that basically oh, says we've done something, but hey, in the you know we've only given him three points on his license. That doesn't mean anything. But the fact that he already had one point on his license, which they would have known because they've given him that point on the license, they've put him to the back of the grid. It ruins the last race. It's a political decision, as are all these sort of decisions that are made at the end of championships. Why is that good for the sport in any way, shape or form? All the sports do it. You know, why F1 is that good for F1's the sport? Like it loads of times at the end of the season. They re-allowed the Ferraris back in again when Mika Hakkinen won championship when they had the dodgy barge boards. They didn't, they didn't um, uh, disqualify the Williams and the other team who had called their fuel when because it, it would have changed the world champion from Raikkonen to, to Hamilton in 2007. The rules go out the window at the end of the season. Mm. Now, personally, I don't care when in the season that was. Frankly, I said, that's fine. I let it go. There but, was. That's not because I'm a Rossi fan. Because what I saw was... When I watched it, and I think sometimes, you know, sometimes we have a go at the way that F1 will make a decision, then, it can, then they have a meeting you know, 10 days later in Paris. But actually, probably on this one, they'd been better off having a meeting a week later in Barcelona or wherever Dorland is based. They'd been better off getting everyone back into having a week off, think about it, look at all the camera work, look and see, they, and then think, and then they might have come to the opinion to disqualify him. That's fine. But they, as you say, they have actually come up with the two additional things to go yeah. on. Uh, Lorenzo was missed overtaking under yellows. I know. Absolutely clean and clear. Absolutely clean and clear. Now, that's been missed. There's nothing you can do about that other than potentially give him points on his license. No, it's gone because the, the, the protest period is long gone. Right. Um, why was Lorenzo in the stewards' room after the race shouting the odds? No idea. About the fact that. Rossi hadn't been disqualified. Well, because Lorenzo's obviously you know, looking to win the world, looking to win the championship. He's it's a very emotional time for him, and blah de blah de blah, and you know, and him and Rossi don't particularly get on, and and I don't know. I think he's I think it was a, a foolish thing to do. I think he just when you've won, which he basically had done, he won out. He'd done so well up until that he'd point. He won out of the incident. Just walk away. Just just be happy with what it is. Don't try don't don't try and turn things to your advantage where they're already at your advantage. Mm. So, no, I think he came out... I mean, the point about it is he came out very, he's come out badly from something which he should just have come out well from. But it's... Uh... Honda are going to protest the fact um, that the decision wasn't harsh enough as far as they Well, said. Repsol have come out with a ridiculous statement today, the sponsors of Honda. Don't forget, also sponsors of Valet to a couple of his world championships, saying it was appalling that Valet kicked Marquez off. No, the, that's uh, not and true. And it's just rubbish. And you think, well, why is a major sponsor doing it? And you do get this thing, obviously, with the... You know, it's obviously the Spanish fuel supply wanting the Spanish ride to win... But, you know, I'll spin it back to um, what you said right at the beginning of this, is that they should be happy. They should be so chuffed they have a man like Valentino Rossi in their sport because I'm sure next year will probably be his last year. And then they can count the numbers through the turnstile in 2017 and they're going to be very disappointed. (laughs) Because that Malaysian crowd wasn't big and every one of them was a Rossi fan. And yeah, Marquez, there was a lot of Marquez, and Marquez fans there as well. And Marquez will not have won any fans. 
this week. No, um, and because he's been so be petulant, he's been, and he's been shown. And look, did you hear and... Lorenzo being booed on, well, on the podium? Well, yeah, yeah, that's not that's unfortunate for him because there was a lot of '93 red '93 flags out there. Yeah, it's because Honda paid for them. But even so, the, you know, you know, you don't have to I, pick them up. Well, you know, it's not like it's a totalitarian regime, and then. Oh, hang on. But I still, I, I think, you know, it's it's an interesting situation. I think that MotoGP have come out of this, unfortunately, badly. I think it's a bad situation to come up, and I absolutely agree that um, Rossi was a, was, was a very large uh, manufacturer of his own downfall there. Mm. Interestingly, the actual incident I think they got wrong. Me too. But the lead-up incident is mostly his fault. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. Nick Damon, John Hindorf, and Tim Gray at the moment on Series 10, Episode 43. Shall we keep Nick and do a bit of F1 before we move on, Tim? Yes. <laughs> Something happened F1 this week, then? Well, do you know what? I find it strangely interesting it watching rained. the rain <laughs> Yes. Didn't do anything else but bloody rain, did it? <laughs> well, on Sunday, it uh, did uh, quite a lot else other than rain. It was uh, mainly dry. I just, it was, uh, actually, yeah. They could get any grip. Uh, no, uh, well, I think we ought to say congratulations to Lewis Hampton. Can we say congratulations to... Uh, all the people who got in, but didn't were get out amazed at the uh, ability of the Austin uh, Grand Prix circuit to uh, drain water away, even though it's on a hill. <laughs> yeah, it's also on rock, unfortunately, which is why it doesn't drain uh, and the water table sits high. Yeah, I mean, which the, is one of the big issues. I think when you get to weather, no, it, it tracks and and it the tail end of hurricanes. There's not much you can do about eight it. Eight inches in less than 48 hours. And they got they were lucky because it dried at the right time. They got a race. and They got a very very good race. Can I just say I am disappointed at the majority of the Formula One press pack. Mm, really? Why? I know that's not your surprise for us, <laughs> collective. Um, who on qualifying afternoon? when there was still four hours of daylight, clearly just wanted to get back to the bar. Yes. It, it was absolutely disgusting that, first of all, Court have proved themselves unable to run the proverbial drunken night in a brewery um, by telling nobody, everybody not to turn up until after midday, and then FP3 ran when the gates hadn't been properly opened. Well, that wasn't Cota's decision. That was the uh, local police who thought no, that's the roads not, were unsafe. That's not true, Tim. That was Cota's decision not to open the gates. Because but the police issued an advisory saying uh, for non-essential journeys, stay at home. Mm. Um, basically, Cota couldn't get decided that they didn't want to get their staff in and peer them. Mm. And they therefore even though that there were some people there. Some people did go and did get in, and well done to them. But I'm afraid, once again, Quarter have fallen very, very short of the mark. They really need to get some people in there who understand motor racing. Um, otherwise, that place has no future whatsoever as a venue. Um, secondly, that everybody, you know, in the... Um, Everybody that I was watching tweet, I got sick of seeing people. Oh, James Allen said, I've grown a beard in the time I've been waiting here. He'd been waiting two hours at that point. And there was still, as I say, three, four hours of daylight. Charlie Whiting was right. Uh, Nico Rosberg was right. There are people here waiting for us to go out. The very least we can do is wait till the very last moment to decide whether we can go out or not. 
It and for those that said, oh, you could have made this decision two hours ago. Yes, they could have made the decision two hours ago, but it would have been the wrong decision because there was still an opportunity for some kind of qualifying to happen on Saturday. And I'm afraid, once again, Formula One, and particularly the Formula One press pack, have shown themselves to be completely and utterly out of touch. They are part of the entertainment industry. When are they going to understand that, Nick? Um, well, that's never going to happen. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think it's it's it, I think there were a few people in for qualifying. It was disappointing it wasn't going to happen. They were looking at the long distance weather forecast, and they're all very wet. So you know, probably quite chilly. No, it was disappointing. I think I think it's unlikely actually that the qualifying would have got off on Saturday evening. They waited the extra three or four hours. So you know, I'm I'm pretty much yes, but you've got to, you've no, got to no, wait. I, and try. I, I understand what you're saying, but I you think... can't say, oh, it's raining now. Let's go home. No, no and they waited two or three hours. You, you, there's, there has to be a set. Of... Look at the difference be- on Sunday morning between Porsche Super Cup, which was marginal to run at one stage and started behind the safety car, and then less than an hour after that race finished, Formula One's on the grid on Inters. Yeah, and then they had to cancel qualifying three though because it was too wet. Qualifying was Saturday morning, wasn't it? Sunday morning. Sunday morning. Yeah. I was was forced to go after qualifying. Yes. Oh, sorry, because they, they cancelled qualifying three, so I didn't watch Super Cup. No, I mean, but yeah, then the race got going. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think the, I think the weekend was difficult, and I don't think anyone really covered themselves in glory. But it's very hard to get. I've I've been in, in and you, we've all been at sessions that have been cancelled for weather, and it's it, no one really likes that one. Um, but um, and the race got underway, and uh, we had another um, aggressive move um, with the driver running someone off the track, which you know, and causing in this case causing contact. But the point about it is, is that did his teammate let him do it? And uh, it's it, that's a, that, that, again, uh, the, yeah. The fact what is, happened to the, the somebody tweeted those, what happened to the FIA rule of leaving racing room on the outside of a doesn't corner? Doesn't count for the first lap and never has done. Yes, but basically, it doesn't say the that, reason does being it? is you can't leave racing room on the first lap. If you look at you, you literally have to penalise everybody who wasn't in the lead because they're all over the place, zigzagging, looking for space. Now, there are points where you think, yes, we could have a make a comment about that move, but then they just open a massive can of worms uh, for future races. So by not doing anything, oddly. Oddly, um, it makes easy, their life easier. I mean, we've always said how difficult it is for stewards to get the decision right. I, I do think there was a major contrast between um, that first corner incident and later on in the race when um, 14, I think it was, the right-hander at 14. Um, yeah, the point about it is that once the race gets up and running, the, the, the normal rules apply. And if he'd, if he'd done that same move on lap nine... There'd have been almost certainly been an investigation for it mm-hmm. if there'd be any sort of carbon fiber breakage being causing an accident. But because it's lap one, they don't do it. And I understand that, right or wrong. I don't say it's right, not say it's wrong, but I understand it. Mercedes messed up with their strategy again. Well, not really. It, it, what they did was going for the virtual safety car. What they did was actually was the correct methodology if you were sure the virtual safety car was going to last an extra lap. And they ah, only sorry, no, by I'm three talking cars. about. I'm talking about not taking the stop in the full first safety car when it was obvious that no, their tyres weren't going to last no, the race. The point about it is, if you actually looked at Fettel, who took the stop, he went onto the uh, harder tyre. He couldn't last for that either. It was too early for the stop. And they were going to have to stop again anyway. So that was a good... It was, it was a no, good, I think Vettel it just was put a the good, wrong tyres on. When they put the harder ones, put the softer ones on, they'd fallen away even quicker. No, harder tyres didn't get switched on. Yes, they did. I don't think so. I mean, it's a very moot point, and they had very little running. I think it was a good move. Interestingly, I think both the teams did the right thing. 
I think the the not coming in was the right decision for Mercedes and coming in was the right decision for Fettel because he wasn't going to get past him unless he did something different. He did something different. He was dropping time no, during I, that, I that liked, clear running. I like what Ferrari yeah. did. I he thought Ferrari dro- were very active yeah. in what they did. But he was dropping time during that clear running. If the race had then run, to be the if, because there two more stops after that, uh, sorry, safety procedures after that, but if it, if it run to full time, what would have happened is when the Mercedes had come in and changed their tyres, they would come out about five or six seconds behind him because they were pulling away on fresh softer tyres mm. and a Mercedes on fresh softer tyres is going to overtake a Ferrari on older tyres so you know that toss up would have gone um, and then obviously Lewis was, 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 was caught up by the virtual safety car because they didn't stack him which is fair enough because they, they thought it was going to last an extra lap and yes. the thing which even the commentators seem to find not to understand is in the virtual safety car it doesn't matter if you come in the first lap or the third lap you should all be in the same position. Yes. Unlike an actual safety car, when you Correct. have to come in the first time. But unfortunately, the virtual safety car ended about four corners too early. So Lewis didn't stop then. So at I that know, point, at, that point, at that point, they had to leave him out. Yeah, at I that point, he was, gonna, he was heading for third, and we were heading for a championship. And then Kvyat stuck it in the wall. Heading for a championship running into Mexico. Then Kvyat had a crash, exactly the right time. Lewis comes in and swaps his tyres. So lucky. And he's out. But he's out. He's four or five seconds behind Rosberg, and then he catches up about two seconds, which is, yeah, Rosberg was going fine. Then Rosberg just chucks it off. And he can sit around throwing hats at people and he can sit around sulking about the first corner. The fact is, Nico Rosberg wasn't pushed off at the first corner because he already got back in the lead again after that. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't offended by a hat Do you think he, he was through the race that, that, with a mistake. Yeah, I thought he'd driven so well to that point as well. But F1 then... at the front, you can't do... 49 laps well on one lap badly. No, I agree. You have to do 50 laps well to win. Do you th- but do you think that that's... I, I, I think that people who were saying, oh, I don't understand why he's so annoyed because he was going to lose the World Championship anyway. I don't think it was anything to do with that. I think he was annoyed with himself because of the manner in oh, which he he'd thrown that race away. Was comp- yeah, because basically, as far as he's concerned, if I win this race, and, yeah, and he's probably thinking, if I win this race, that's great. We, we, we go to the next race. And the next race in Mexico, Lewis didn't even need him to do anything because Lewis just needed to score some points. And he probably would, So basically, thinking, well, if Lewis can win the World Championship, if I can win the two races, if I can be on top of the podium when he wins and I get a moral victory, well, it's all gone absolutely to you, hasn't it? Because Lewis has, has made him look a fool because he made a mistake. And Lewis has won the race in, in an English-speaking country where he can really milk it. And he's sitting there looking an idiot, looking the number two he is. You know, it couldn't really have worked out worse for him. It'd be much better for him if his engine had blown up mm. than if he had a moral victory. As it is, everyone goes, well, look, you had the chance. You threw it off the track. A um, couple of talking points with new engines. Obviously, Vettel had the new Ferrari engine. Um, that looked okay. I think it was a new Ferrari engine. They were saying it wasn't that actually much different. They were saying it was the same as before. Yeah, they did the big upgrade last uh, last time out in, the, Monza, in Russia. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, however, Alonso had a new engine, which kind of went all right and then didn't. And yeah, in fact, he wanted to pack in long before he got kicked out of the points on the last lap, actually. Mm. But I thought Jensen drove pretty well, if do I'm you honest. Think, uh, before we move away from Alonso, do you think he let Ricardo past... Uh, Deliberately no. on that final no, lap? He was, no, because Ricardo was on absolutely brand new tyres and the engine yeah. didn't work. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, and, and let's be honest about this, however bad the Renault engine is, uh, a wounded Honda is certainly significantly worse. Mm. But, uh, that no, Honda I mean, didn't do very, didn't do particularly badly though, did it? 
No, but only one of them had it. It was only Alonso that had it. Jensen yeah, didn't Alon- have it. Alonso's engine had a problem, so he, I don't know what it was. He wouldn't define uh, it. It was a gearbox problem. It was a gearbox issue. Oh, okay. I didn't, I didn't see that bit. But no, he but... wanted to park it very, very early, and the team were quite adamant that they wanted him to try well, and stay lost, in the points. We lost some front-running cars, which is, which let Jensen up to six. Six cars? Did we lose? Eight. Eight cars. Yeah. So we lost both Williams, which would normally be in front, of, which would normally be yes. in front of, and we lost Hulkenberg, who was going well, and we lost Ricardo. We well, didn't lose Ricardo. Ricardo dropped back behind. So the net six well, of Jensen's really Hulkenberg sort of didn't cover himself in glory. Well, his wing collapsed, didn't it? So he had a previous accident, and, and, it, and it, as he actually went in to make that move, his wing gave way, his front wing. So do we had, think that wasn't that was cause or effect? No, no. You can see on the onboard, the wing goes before he has he hits it. Ah, okay. So, but I'm sure he tapped it on someone beforehand. And it's just one of those weird coincidences that happened to go at that point. So he lost a load of front down for Nightmare for Williams. Him, but, um, yeah, I mean, it was a very, very good race. And, yeah, and I think we, we can go through individual points. But the fact of it is, is that Britain's got a three-time world champion. Another three-time world champion. Yeah. And this one doesn't know anything about melting Mars bars. Mm. So yeah, our second three-time world champion. We've got two of them. Yes, but that, that's why I said another. Yes, but because I mean, it's not other, just it's, one. Other countries have had them as well. No, we. I said I'm being being very parochial. We. I am English. You British. said you British. You mentioned Jackie British, Stewart. Yeah. Yes. Uh, as being the last. Why did he not make the ten-year anniversary program? Well, because uh, obviously he's uh, joining us tonight. Is he really? Uh, good evening, Sir Jackie. Uh, tell me, uh, what's it like to win three world championships? It's a little bit like overheating a Mars bar in the warm sun. It doesn't have any rigidity anymore. There's no strength left in it. Ah, uh, wise, wise words. Wise, wise words, words indeed, Jackie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, um, and still, of course, Lewis Hamilton's got a bit of a track named after him. Jackie Stewart hasn't. Yes, Nesterton. Yes, in, on the uh, the infield. But um, in fairness, and I know you're not his biggest fan, I don't think you can take away he's been brilliant this year. Uh, I think he's you know he's had no competition. It's as simple as that. He's got the best car. He's one of the best drivers in the field. He's got the I best think... car by. Distance. I think this year he is demonstrably the best. But he's had demonstrably the best car still. And he's won with three races. Most, most champions do. Yeah. And the, and there's, don't forget, there's there's either skill or luck in that. And being in the right car at the right time is part of being a champion. Mm-hmm. Which unfortunately Lonzo hasn't got right since no. 2006. No. But there's a petulance there still with Alonso that... I still think he's, you know, there's potential there. He is potentially the best driver on the grid. I yeah, just don't I, see... I just think that he, what he needs, if he can't get into a McLaren or, or a Ferrari, I genuinely think he should go somewhere he can win. Mm. Because he's just not enjoying it anymore. And I can't see... Uh, I can see McLaren improving next year, but they'll, they'll, they'll get up to about absolutely top whack. They'll get up to where Williams are. They're not going to be in top two teams. If Red Bull get a better engine, they won't be in the top three teams. I see a difference in Jensen's attitude. Well, he's obviously decided to sign on for the year again. He's going to take the 16 million quid and go, thank you very much. Nice, nice, good deal. I'll, I'll give it another go. I I think he's already signed for 17 as well. Really? Mm. I think there's a bit of a logjam of drivers at the moment, so I'd be surprised about that. Well, There's I... been a lot of talk this week about uh, having a mandatory upper age limit in Formula 1. Upper age limit? Yes. 52. Really? 106. Uh, people think that... Uh, Nigel Mansell's uh, pe- campaigning against it. <laughs> people are saying that uh, people like Button and uh, uh, Raikkonen and even... Who are even these people? 
even Alonso should be giving up their seats to young up-and-coming drivers. Would these be young up-and-coming drivers saying this? It would be, yes. Yes, yeah, yeah, of course it would be. Oh, yeah, of course, we haven't mentioned, of course, we, had, we have another driver, of course, for the grid next year. Yes. Well, do we? Well, I don't know how much I can say, but um, as you know, I know people at... Um, well, no, OK, well, <laughs> listen. So, Jolly and Palmer... Has signed... Has signed with Lotus... To partner Pastor Maldonado next year. For Lotus. For Lotus. Right? Now, this is a team that have so little money... But they have a letter of intent from Renault. Right. Stand by, though. But this is a team who have so little money that they didn't have a spare gearbox... And they had to try and repair a gearbox in the pit garage in the early part of the running. That was just embarrassing. Okay. Things I know. So, so, so the question for me is, sorry, is this contract that Jolly and Palmer has signed with the current team, with the people who are about to take the team over, would it be binding to that people who were going to take the team over and how much money has oh, he put on the table absolutely now why Jolian Palmer has signed to keep the lights on Jolian Palmer money, has money signed now. because Jolian Palmer much as Marcus Ericsson did with Sauber last year has paid up front yes absolutely A how big a bunch of cash I don't know he has paid up front and has paid a number of their bills apparently though I have heard that Renault have paid a few of the suppliers off as well the, the more pressing um high quality type ones they've paid off mm. I've also heard that Renault have not made a decision about buying Lotus more importantly Renault have not made a decision about being in F1 no Charles Bloch I can't pronounce his surname Gone Goshen Gosh, Go- yeah. yeah has said that a decision will be made in December mm. and Lotus needs to keep that would t- be. Carlos sorry not you Charles. can call him Charles if you want <laughs> but you know Carlos, um, can I tell you, Charles? Yes, I can. Uh, Mr. Head of... Yeah. It's like anyway, Mr. So, Head of Honda Bike Racing. Call me Harvey. I will do. Uh, so anyway, so basically, they, um, they they have to keep themselves running until a decision is made. Six million quid. Is that right? What, for Jolien? Whatever, ten no, million. No, the money that's been bunged in there. Ten million euros, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is that, is that six million quid? Yeah, so about is, that. More or less. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, let's, let's, let's get this absolutely right. Julian Palmer is a very talented driver, um, GP2 champion, fantastic. But if you actually sit down and think about it, if Renault were definitely buying the team, mm-hmm. and we don't know if the two Red Bull teams are going to survive, mm-hmm. would you announce your driver now? No. If I was when, Renault, if you I, weren't would, I would bankrupt. go back a step there mm-hmm. and say... If we don't know whether the two Red Bull teams are going to survive, I'm not sure I'd be buying Lotus at all. Exactly. Let alone announcing drivers. Exactly. Because I might want to go and buy a different team. So that's the whole point. And basically, you're absolutely right, Tim. Because of the uncertainty, Lotus need to keep the lights on till mid-December at the earliest. And they need to get last year's money. No money. And they, they anyway, they, by getting and exactly the same way as Ericsson paid for his job in that one, Guido van der Gaard, because he paid up front. What will happen if Renault take over is anyone's guess. My guess is if they take over with a sufficient budget, one of the two drivers will not be a driver and they'll put in one of their favourites, depending on who's available. Mm-hmm. Like Jean-Luc Verne, or someone French, mm-hmm. yeah, might get passed around because let's be honest, the PDSA money is not as... Uh, 
as solid as it was with the price of oil and the fact that uh, well, frankly, Venezuela is basically bust. People's dispensary for sick animals have no point in being PVDSA, is it? Sorry, yeah. All right. um, <laughs> so, Julian Parr currently has a seat in F1 with a team that may not exist under unknown management, but what he has done is he's done a very big service to the many people who work in Endstone yes, and the race agreed. team and no, kept them going agreed. at the end of the season so we haven't got the embarrassment of well, the that could failure be 10... we saw with Manor and Cage at the back end of last year. But that could be 10 million euros that's just gone straight down into a big hole. I'm sure that John, Dr Jonathan Palmer is clever enough to make sure he is at the front of any list when it comes to... Uh, Creditors. Creditors. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure that uh, there'll be some straight line testing going on at Bedford Autodrome now. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, you know, but it's a case of if they can survive, they, they get through the end of the season, then they'll see what happens. If, like, if, if Renault take them over, it might be. Renault decide, you know, we're going to have a soft takeover year. Fine, we'll, we'll take who we are. My feeling is that Renault, because they are, will be effectively you know, at the French national team, would not want a Venezuelan and a Brit driving for the team when there are very capable French drivers out there without a ride. Mm. Seems or reasonable. even better than that, if there was a Ricardo or uh, Max, well, if Max Verstappen becomes available, he'll go. He'll just kick Raikkonen straight out. But I'm not um, sure the French are as keen these days as they were in the past of having French drivers in French teams. What 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 do you bring that from? It would depend on who the sponsors were. Did for... you see the drivers of the Peugeot uh, uh, program? It yes. would depend. I'm just it thinking. There, are, there does appear to be a bit of a shortage of French drivers around at the moment of decent quality. Uh, really? We have, yeah, we Jean-Eric have Jean Eric Verne, who's uh, tied up elsewhere. That we have takes two Romain Grosjean, who's tied up elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's Charles Peake doing these days? Uh, suing people. Mm-hmm. So, probably not the sort of person you want in your team. Mm. Sebastian Bourdais. A little bit. Uh, How about the man who won Formula E this week? Sebastian Bourdais, probably a little bit past it. Sebastian Buemi? Is Swiss. Oh, good point. French Swiss, though. Mm. French speaking is just as important as being French. I almost, do you know what? He, he's, his French speaking is also German speaking. He probably mm. speaks a little Italian. He probably, he's done everything. Anyway, yes. Uh, Nico Prost. Nico Prost. Uh, again, at the moment, yeah, I believe he's good. otherwise engaged. And that takes 10p to get out of. I, honestly, I think if Renault came calling to a Prost, <laughs> then that wouldn't be. No, I, I, I think you're right, Tim. I think there's, there, there, I think there aren't is that many. He's driving for a Renault team. Mm. I think there aren't that he's, many. He's driving for Rebellion. No, he's driving for Rebellion. No, Formula, Formula, Formula E. Oh, that's not motorsport, though. Oh, it was terrible. The, that was awful at the weekend. There was oh, 22 people there, and most of those were driving cars. Uh, two drivers weren't driving cars, though. No, because they got, their cars got stuck in freight in the customs. Really? Yes. The Truly team decided to do their own thing and not use the freight forwarder. Everyone else used DHL. They got 18 cars through and the two Truly cars got stuck in customs. Um, but it's... Do we know why, or do you know, because I do know why, do you know why uh, Truly decided not to uh, ship their cars with DHL? Too expensive. Uh, no, because they wanted to spend an extra week... Uh, Testing developing uh, their power unit. Well, I'd like to point out that much as I thought, and in fact, I think when we discussed this weeks ago, that this, this, this limited development will result in what is exactly related is that the, uh, the EDAMS team is massively ahead of everybody because they've they spent as some money on the powertrain. And you sit there going, well, you've basically you've completely destroyed your championship in one go. Who's been whinging about having a terrible car? 
Probably need, uh, everybody PK. except if you, Nelson if you, Piquet Jr., the reigning champion, last, yeah. started dead last and didn't He's got finish it. much higher. Oliver Turvey, his teammate, finished sixth though. Yes, but that was because uh, he was already in the pits or on his way into the pits when the safety car came yes, out. Yes, that's right. So uh, no, no, I, 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 yeah, you know, I found it hard to find. I mean, what I, it was very funny. I read someone. I was. I, I read was, a. a, a, a a pro article, obviously a sponsor. I say it was a fantastic race. I was thinking, no, so, just because someone overtakes someone doesn't make it a fantastic race. It looked so slow. They, 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 yeah, what what the was thing? the uh, one piece of excitement uh, that we had? No, um, no. It was an accident, was there? There was Nobody a cat. Double the head. Uh, no cats here. Really? We, we, we wouldn't be frightened by the noise, would it? No. <laughs> well, in fact, that is what was said. Imagine that your security services. <laughs> Imagine, dear listener. Yes. Imagine, Hello. Listener. Imagine that your security services have been infiltrated by an agent of an evil international oh, hang on. organization. No, 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 no. Hang on, hang on. In a world where your security services have been Stop infiltrated. Stop it. <laughs> so imagine that your security services have been infiltrated by an agent from an international uh, terrorist organization. Yes. I'm imagining it now. Yeah. And, and uh, currently he's hacking my article about 112th racing. And he's both... <laughs> He's uh, done a deal with uh, nine other countries, or eight right. other countries. Yeah. Uh, Hang on, this is FIFA, isn't it? To share <laughs> yeah. intelligence between right. those nine countries. Yes. Right. Yeah. But to set this system into motion, yes. you need the agreement, unanimous agreement of all of them. Right. Is it like a, like a war council of smirch? And then... South Africa votes no. Oh, I don't know. That sounds bad. This is pretty much uh, what happened uh, to the FIA last week, isn't it? it? Okay, I did think it was the plot of the Bond film I'm seeing. It is the plot of the Bond film you're seeing tomorrow, and which. Oh, uh, thanks a lot. You see, it wasn't. (laughs) Yes. Oh, by the way, there was a spoiler there, so uh, turn away now if you don't want to know what happened. (laughs) Brilliant. By the way, can I just say, BBC, when you do that. You need to leave a gap. There's, there you don't remember the football scores are. Turn away now. Sunderland 3, Newcastle 0. <laughs> they say, look away now and then keep talking. It's not like the old days where they just used to put a graphic a up. Pause. Yes, match of the day coming up next. For the, so for those of you who don't want to know the scores, look away now. Congratulations, Leicester. Massive, <laughs> massive day for Arsenal, who were top of the league tonight. That what? Sorry. No. <laughs> Guys, really? Anyway, sorry. So, how how was the the plot of Spector? Stop it! I'm, I'm seeing it tomorrow. Uh, the same as the FIA then? As is oh, Max Mosley the now. evil? Uh, eh? Uh, no, South Africa are Ferrari. Ah, oh, right. Oh, right, yes. right okay. Everyone's cost cap. Was it cost cap engines or reduced cost engines? I think it's it cost core. Cost core engines. Because interestingly, I think um, there was everyone's going to cost saying, core. People are saying cost cap engines, and I understand it as reduced cost engines, which is very different. But because cost cap is the big buzzwords in F1, it's cost core. Cost core. Everybody goes to a, Everybody goes to a, a retail Area. wholesaler. And if you go for midday, you get free coffee and bagels, mm-hmm. or sorry, little buns. That's nice, yeah. And you break, and it's a create engine, and it's cost capped <laughs> from cost core. No, it's, it's, it's. <laughs> yeah. So Ferrari didn't want to uh, to allow cheaper engines. Um... No, no, stop. Hang on. Let's look at this. Sorry to be the harbinger of doom again, oh, but <laughs> let's look at this. And I'm I'm sorry to apply logic to international motorsport. I've once warned again. you about that on several occasions. 
Um, how long ago did the FIA force mm. everybody to build these new engines? Six years ago. Uh, Five years ago, because they ran for two years, and they knew about them for three years before that. Right. So they've now been running them for two, two years. years. So huge investment in mm-hmm. new power plants and new technology yep. two years ago. Yep. Mercedes spent how much? Uh, $450 million or euros. That's about the same, isn't it? it? must have paid for itself by now, nearly. Well, I'm sure we're winning stuff. Really? Well, mm. marketing. marketing. So every, marketing. everybody's done this and yep. built new engines yep. and are continuing to develop these new engines and these new power units. Mm. And now, let's throw all of that out of the window. You can still run your very expensive engines that you've spent a fortune on. And by the way, why did we do this? Because we were trying to make Formula relevant. 1 relevant to road car manufacturers who want hybrids and want to be able to brag about their hybrids and make hybrids sexy. Okay? That's why all that happened. And now we want to throw them out the window and go back to honking big V8s. No, we don't. We've decided we want to go back to not quite so honking 2.2 litre V6 turbos, which oddly are already being run by a well-known single-seater series in America. Indica. Uh, yeah, and Bernie's basically got a stalking horse engine in there now. But the big problem Bernie has... DFE? Um, Did someone say DFE? Yes. yes. Any, yes. Hello, Cosworth. The big problem Hello, that, that, that Bernie has is that he doesn't actually have the amount of power he thinks he has to change these rules. Hence the reason he wants to get rid of... He, he thinks he can do it, but he can't without the FIA. And the FIA um, is a little bit crap now that um, Sean Tot's in charge of it. Well, can we also say it's Turkey's voting for Christmas because the way the regulations have been proposed, the new, non-super-expensive, highly relevant... Slightly, manuf- yeah, the, yeah. Or, um, ...original equipment manufacturer engines mm-hmm. um, will run at a lower power level than the cheaper, supplied by Bernie engines, I'm sure... Um, that have that have no relevance no, 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 whatsoever. No, no, no one knows because no no actual tender's been issued. So there's been all this kind of like. No, but no, the proposal is that yeah, to equalise the this, technology. No, this is the sort of stuff that Bernie and Max used to do. Propose something outrageous to get the thing they wanted, which was 25% below that, but still 25% above what the teams wanted to give. That was the old way of doing things. And why is the this problem, being proposed? It, the problem because Bernie is Bernie wants something. Because Bernie wants it. But he hasn't got Max. He's got Jean. And Jean is useless. Mm, so been it's not poor. going to work. Because the team's going to go, no, we've got all these arrangements. What are you going to do? And he's going to go, we're going to try and do this. What about Red Bull? And, and they're all going to go, knock yourself out. It ain't going to happen. And the press has got nothing else to write about. So they big this all up. Well, they were even talking about balance of performance in Formula How do you balance a performance of a car that, uh, for a car which makes most of its pa- a lot of its power through hybridisation, which only works for a certain part of the lap? I oh, know. It's just com- you know, people I had a long chat with somebody. You'd have to rebalance them at every circuit. At every corner. I I had a long chat with somebody yesterday, who is Tuesday, yes, who is who works for a major manufacturer, who is a group of companies, major OEM, who is a group of companies who is effectively involved in Formula One with one of its brands. And he wanted me to explain 
what the hell was going on with these proposed engine regulations and did balance you have of several performance. Hours uh, it it did pretty much flatten the battery of the of the mobile phone I was on. It is it it's is posturing at stalking horses. It doesn't make any sense. I'm not saying it is right. Max Mosley behind this. No, he has no power. Nothing else. He just wanted to get some PR a couple of weeks ago. Probably got a book coming out or a <laughs> yeah, spanking good time in Max or something. But. Um, is is I think we need to move away from this. So uh, should we just still to come? Well, well it's the end of the first hour on Midweek Motorsport Series 10 episode 43. Midweek Motorsport. And if you thought that hour was packed with insights and comments, wait till you hear what's next. So thanks to Nick Damon for uh, the first hour. Uh, we'll, he, I think, step away at this point. Keep your tweets coming if in. If he too. wants to say any more about Max, he's definitely got to step away. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> step further away because the cane is longer than that. The uh, uh, Coming up in the second hour, we'll be talking some sports car news. Uh, we'll be looking forward to Shanghai at the weekend. Also, some calendar news from the States. Oh, yes, we've got calendar news from both sides of the Atlantic. I'm very Excellent. excited. Excellent stuff. That's all still to come here on RichieLeBond.com. Uh, it's Midweek Motorsports Series 10, Episode 43. And don't forget, following the show tonight, uh, we'll replay our special 10-year celebration programme. Won't we, Tim? Yes. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com. So let's kick off the second hour with Graham Goodwin, editor of Daily Sports Car. .com, who has installed himself in the Supreme Headquarters Endurance Division at the Shed, is back in, uh, in full operation this week. Evening, Graham. Good evening, everybody. Evening, Graham. Uh, oh, yeah, good evening, Tim. Um, sounds like he's just here in the room. Um, he is. Now, seeing as... Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> seeing as though you are in the S.H.E.D., um, what covers your walls on the inside of the of the I've daily seen a photograph? It's it's old passes. Is it? There is old passes. There's, there's one. There, there is. There's uh, no way to around, talk about Martin. Look at <laughs> look around me now. There is indeed now a completely full uh, board with uh, lots of passes and lanyards on. Loads more till to go up. There's a very lovely. Um, signed front page of Autosport, actually, the uh, the um, edition uh, celebrating the Luke Deval, Tom Christensen, Alan McNish World Championships and family photographs, some other prized items. Do you year. have any calendars on your wall? I have two calendars on my wall. Now, are they calendars or are they proper year planners? There's a year planner and there is a very plain calendar indeed. I don't have a motorsport calendar. Ah. The reason I ask is because... It is that time of the year when we talk about calendars. Not necessarily the ones that go up on your walls, but the ones that team managers and sponsors... we do a segment talking about the ones that go up on your walls? We could do that. I've got a lovely one of beaches of South America. Have you? There is... is, uh, Well, I'm I'm not going to say it because it'll spoil... If we put Drew Gibson's calendar, will it give us one thing? (laughs) That Um, Drew Gibson is a fantastic calendar, and and, that would look great next to the plane one I've got here. Do you not? I do actually need to speak to Mr. Gibson. Do you? Yes, because I've got a wall which doesn't have any artwork on it. Really? the other three walls in that room have a piece of... Sorry, two, two of the other three walls in that room have a piece of Mr. Kitson's artwork on. So I wonder yeah. if he could uh, maybe supply me with something for the third one. Right, OK. Moving on. The, moving the, on. British GT calendar is out. 
Yeah, and we're not talking about nice photographs of the beach day in Aston Martin here. We're talking no. about the dates. Now, it's changed I'm from f- last year, isn't it? Because they're not starting at Alton Park. That must be the first time what? for a decade. It is the first time for a decade. 2005 uh, was the first time we saw in the current uh, um, scheme of things, Alton Park it's become the traditional season opener on a, on a rather odd... It's um, normally at Easter weekend as well, isn't it? It is. It's, yeah. it's, it's a kind of a Saturday-Monday meeting, uh, yes. which is always jolly pleasant. And it's always given the opportunity for people to come and cover two race meetings for Delhi Sports Car on the Sunday as well. Uh, but uh, it'll be um, at Brands Hatch this year on the very fabulous Grand Prix circuit. Um, but uh, I think that is the only major significant clash with more or less anything that might uh, stop people from going racing elsewhere. It's um, it's It's got a sense of deja vu about it, aside from the change in the uh, starting position for the calendar, April the 16th and 17th. At Brands Hatch uh, GP, it is exactly the same. Seven venues, nine races, the um, you know much loved mixed format championship that mm. uh, we've seen for the last few years. It's been very successful, very popular with the uh, the competitors. Um, and, and two other points really. One is that the that the, the surge forward from GT4 I think is looking set to yeah. continue Agreed. to the extent that we've got two races which will uh, will share. Uh, the track with the British GT Championship uh, with the European Series. I think it's the Competition 102 organised GT4 Euro Series uh, will share the um, the calendar uh, at Silverstone and at Spa, which is again the, the overseas round. Uh, the other thing, and the press release announcing the, um, the calendar made very great play, guys, of no clashes whatsoever with the Blancpain GT series. Neither. That's because they organised by the same people. Funny that. Um, but what uh, I've and also... that makes perfect sense it's as well. Perfect, why perfect, why, perfect, why, why would not, you dilute? Not. Why would you dilute potential uh, championship runners from one of your championships by running another one of your championships on the same weekend? I, I think that makes perfect sense. Correctly so, but it also doesn't clash, as far as I can see, with the new Michelin GT3 Le Mans Cup. Well, that also makes good sense as well, because that is a direct competitor to Blancpain uh, and the SRO championships. Um, now, does that mean that the Michelin GT3 Le Mans Cup mm-hmm. will clash with Blancpain? Now, I'll have to have a quick deco at that one, because that's the the uh, in the 10 minutes from walking in to donning my headphones uh the uh, that's the one bit i've not actually looked at but the, the inevitability is that there will be uh certainly i think we're going to start to see a little bit of bloodletting at the metaphorical sense uh, in gt3 land because i cannot see do you that mean to say that there's no british gt race the same weekend as le mans when the michelin gt3 le mans cup will be racing at le mans on saturday morning uh Correct. british gt is at silverstone june 11th and 12th which so is the week nearing. before which is we've often had uh, that uh, that happening at that same time, and that's not a problem whatsoever. One thing that I have noticed is that We're the, bated breath here. the yeah. new Alton Park race, yes. uh, yep. Alton Park hasn't gone from the calendar; it's just moved. Now Correct. a May Bank holiday weekend, which is Correct. the same weekend as the Nurburgring 24 Hours. Yeah, that's not smart. And the other thing that's not smart is clashing with the WEC and ELMS at Silverstone in a race in the same country on the same weekend and obviously on the same time zone. 
Yeah, it does mean that the uh, Blancpain season opener doesn't this year clash, which it has done uh, for the last, I think, two years at least. Uh, so is it the Rock? Is it so? Oh uh, right, okay. So it's the Brands Hatch season opener, sixteenth yep. and seventeenth. Yeah, yep. clashes with Silverstone, does it? Yes. <sighs> you know the issue there is not so much. I mean, all right, fans will make a decision. Uh, press, some of whom will have to make a decision. TV, well, that'll go up against each other. But, you know... It won't, because British GT isn't live. Oh, yes, good point. I hadn't thought of that. Um, But, you know, it's another big meeting where, you know, we're we're desperately short of marshals. Mm. And to have two major meetings in a similar... Because marshals are fans as well. And, you know, I have massive respect for everybody who goes and stands uh, out by the side of the circuit and gives of their time. And I I just think that you're asking people to make choices here uh, that we don't have enough marshals to go around in the UK. We don't have enough marshals to go around anywhere and in the world. And, you know, I just think that isn't smart. It doesn't have to be that weekend. I'm right in saying that that's not the bank holiday weekend in April, is it's it? Not, so, no. Um, no, it's not. So, in fact, WEC tend to stay um, stay away from it, if I remember rightly. So, I just don't I understand there's, that. There's an element here, John, where the principal thing they're looking to um, differentiate themselves with is GT3 racing, mm. which does tend to make a bit of a mockery of it clashing with Nürburgring 24 hours. I agree with Tim entirely. But beyond that, you then do... St- start to get into trouble if you're SRO and for that matter the ACO in trying to find it's not that many weekends I mean you're talking a spread here from April to September great so that's that's what five months five times four is 20 uh, or there thereabouts in terms of the number of weeks we're talking about if you're looking at seven rounds of British GT five rounds of Blomp and Endurance from memory I think it's seven rounds of Blancpain. Um, Six months, sprint. isn't it? Sprint, if you go from yeah. the first first of April to the end of, okay. of September. September. You could actually go into October as well, the first two weeks of you October. Could. <clears throat> it's slightly more difficult for uh, in the UK because you're, you're far less likely. It does get a bit dark. But... It's 20 you degrees start... yesterday. Hey, yeah. But you then start to get to the stage, don't you, pretty quickly if you look at those the number of races we're talking about there. So let's just, just look at British GT. That's seven plus five for... Uh, the Blancpain Endurance, plus seven for the uh, Blancpain Sprint Series. That's already is 18 out of mm. a spread of no more than about 25, 26. Take, True. Out, True. take out Le Mans, because yeah. they don't clash with Le Mans. You are beginning then to get to the stage where you're restricted in terms of the numbers. And more than that, you're then getting to the stage where the available dates with the, with the circuits um, you know that that aren't going to clash with with that or anything else. Are begin to get restricted. But you know we could we could sit here and it is fun to kind of conspiracy theorise. But I don't think so. I think actually what's happening here is SRO correctly are looking to bolster the their products. Correct. And, you know they see very much. Well, they've marshaled they've marshaled their own. Um their own forces in in, in, right. in respect of, you know, let's not Absolutely. trip over ourselves, guys. It's difficult enough out there. Let's yep. not, you know, let's let's not put SRO Blancpain 
against SRO British GT, against SRO Sprint Series, against whatever else. I I, I think that's entirely. And I this, think that's this, entirely yeah, sensible. Where there was a big push from SRO to try to get teams to commit to the whole Blanc Pan GT series. Yes. And, you know, in no small part, and, you know, sorry, Stefan, if, if this is the way it comes across, it's, I'm not meaning to be critical SRO guys, but to, to prop up what has been a bit of a difficult sell for them with the Blompan Sprint Series. And I think that will continue to be a, uh, a difficult sell for them. But, you know, this clearly might help uh, just having the opportunity to offer that uh, that opportunity to... Uh, to teams that are doing the British to, to dip in and maybe do a part season of Blompan uh, GT, you know, will certainly help to do what we've constantly said about all sorts of motorsport, which is provide a ladder. Yes. And, you know, certainly we've seen that with British GT teams coming forward and, you know, the likes of Triple Eight, uh, Courier Cost, Beach Dean now heading towards the European Le Mans series. Uh, next year there's been you know a, a pretty fine tradition of the of the the larger bigger teams um kind of cracking on and doing other things motor base and uh, you know oman racing um so uh it's it's all all of that stuff i think is is a very good thing for the health of the sport moving forward i do i do think that you know when teams move on we've got to um make sure that we fill in from behind um you know and i i think it's an important part uh of of that system that there is a ladder and i think gt4 is the way to go with that and bring people through uh in in that respect uh let's look at some other uh, stories that's the uh, the calendar uh, the british gt calendar news i've got um, one thing which kind of ties yeah, in cool, the calendar cool, cool. news uh-huh. uh something which hasn't announced a calendar but has put out a press release um saying pretty much everything but announcing a calendar um porsche carrera cup gb mm-hmm. is to support the world endurance championship at one event in 2016 really but they haven't said which one presumably not silverstone no there's no room um I would think so it'd be Le Mans then. Somewhere else. Le Mans? I don't think it will be Le Mans. No, it's Ferrari Challenge this year. Ferrari well, gets no, no. a support race at Le Mans this uh, year. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so, it's, Ferrari, uh, it's, Ferrari, it's Ferrari this year. Yeah. So Spa? Possibly. Next year, rather. <laughs> possibly Spa. Yes, um, could possibly, be Spa. Possibly, yeah. But they I went mean, to Spa this year, didn't they? It's going to be pretty crowded, isn't it? Because uh, now there is one of the race meetings where we've not got both Renault series. I'd have to double check which. Silverstone. Uh, no, no, neither one Renault other. series are going to be at Silverstone. Oh right, sorry. Um, so it's basically LMS and WEC only for for there. Then you've got um, the the package for WEC moving forward will be uh, the Michelin GT3 Cup is for LMS, uh, as are the. The Renault series. That's sorry, I'm getting myself mixed up, aren't I? It's not. Yeah, uh, it it's might not well WC. be Spa. It will be either Spa or Nurburgring, won't it? Yeah, I would guess I Nurburgring. So. They've raced at Nurburgring before on, on the, the Nordschleife. Yes. Uh, yes, that was part of the of the World Cup, wasn't yes. it? Um, mm. uh, until this year, when they raced at Spa on the uh, Spa 24 Hour package, they've all been part of Porsche World Cups. Yes, that's true. Um, let's rattle through a couple of other things. Um, what more have we heard about Keith Kasulke? Uh, very sad news coming to us over the weekend. 
Graham, that yeah. the Ascari that he's campaigned for a while once again burst into flames. Doesn't seem to have been any um, uh, contact accident there. Um, it, it's, I'm afraid, getting a bit of a reputation for this now, that car. And Keith uh, having to be airlifted to hospital with nasty burns. What, yeah, what do the, we know? The... Well, this came to us from our, our friends, the the highly effective and hugely professional speedcafe.com across in Australia, John. Hello, and, guys. Uh, yeah. Hello, guys. And uh, a national race meeting in Australia, Phillip Island. Now, Keith Kasulka, those that uh, don't know Keith and aren't aware of him, his exploits, uh, a firm part of the Mark uh, Cars Australia efforts. Class winner at Dubai and commentated on by us this year. Yes. Uh, for that, I think from memory, is that a class winning brick car as well in one of those cars? Yeah, the Mark, um, uh, the Mark Focus, Focus. Stroke um, Master. But, uh, yeah, I'm afraid suffered some very serious burns indeed. Uh, and uh, the last information I saw uh, was critically in an, in an hospital uh, after the, the car burst into flames during a practice session. Critical, so, so. but uh, now stable and at least talking was the last thing That's that, great. that I heard. But burns are a nasty thing, so yeah. we, we pass our best, best wishes to Keith and his and his family uh, and everybody involved there. A, a real character, only took up the sport relatively recently and uh, a lovely bloke to talk to, as, as both uh, Shea and Joe Bradley said earlier on this week when they heard the news, always happy to have the microphone stuck under his nose and never short of a, an anecdote or a comment and uh, wears his heart in his sleeve and there's nothing wrong with that as a racing driver um, and we wish him... Well, it's Australian, John. <laughs> yeah, Australia. Australia. Uh, um, we, we wish him all the best uh, on that. We'll do some FIA news in a moment but let's stay with uh, Down Under because Bathurst is, well, only a few months away now, less than 150 <laughs> days to Bathurst now. Yeah. Um, and uh, a couple of new Audi R8s going to be in the team. Yeah, not a massive surprise, but uh, it's good to have that confirmed that we've got so we're beginning to see the kind of the R8s, uh, in fact, lots of customers for lots of cars coming yeah. thick and fast now. Now, are these new R8s or are these, these current are brand R8s? brand new R8s. Mm. We have some lovely pictures of two uh, in bare carbon. Ooh. Yes, please. Um, going to the Melbourne Performance Centre, Jamek Pem, um, as uh, is the is the entrance, and the mouth-watering prospect here, John, is that named aboard one of those cars are none other than Christopher Hazer and Christopher Meese, uh, with a silver driver still to be named. I believe it's going to be an all Aussie efforts in the second car. Well, Chris Hazer might be a bit short of work in the. Uh... In the ALMS, uh, in the IMSA series, excuse me, yeah. next year with, um, and we'll talk about this again. We spoke to Marshall about it last week with um, Paul Miller Racing going to Lamborghini. So Chris Hazer might be a, a tad short of of seat time. Uh, he'll enjoy that. Chris Meese, um, another good little peddler, and you know that straight away there, Graham. Whoever oh, gets slotted into there. that car, you've got to say hello. There's there's a car that that's right at the sharp end of the grid. Absolutely right, and uh, so so you know they, they already I think can be put right there amongst the potential favourites mm. for the race, John. Uh, the other um, confirmed customer for the the new Audi is Car Collection Motorsport, and that's ah. a, a, a team that uh, Radio Le Mans contributors and listeners will be familiar with. Previously run Mercedes Benz. They have indeed, and they've run a range of series, including the 24-hour series, the Quantic series. 
and at the Nürburgring 24 hours, of course. Uh, but uh, they will be taking delivery of a pair of those Audis too. There's a heck of a flowchart to be written, you know, about uh, people changing allegiances here. Um, also, by the way, uh, when we talk about kind of long distance races and confirmation of new machinery, uh, the Dubai 24 hours uh, provisional entry, which is full, by the way, is also yes. out and confirms two new AMG GT3s for the Black Falcon and Abu Dhabi Black Falcon uh, efforts. So we are going to see amongst the sea of SLS GT3s a pair of the brand new Mercedes-Benz in Dubai in January. And a new TCR class for the yep. uh, anniversary running of the uh, of the... Oh, no, it was last year was the 10th anniversary, wasn't it? Or this year. Um, so it put uh, a, a new TCR class as well, but a full grid already confirmed for the Hankook Dubai 24 hours. You'll hear it here on RadioLamont.com, of course. Ballroom as promo well. mode. Do you want to talk about some other things coming up? Uh, well, I want to talk about Shanghai at the weekend because our FIA World Endurance Championship... Normally, you expect to see the same names, the same cars on the entry list, Graham, and that's not going to be the case this weekend. Uh, no, we're going well, to see for the some... most part it will be, but well, you know... we're, going to, we're going to see some new uh, some new names certainly uh, in in some other cars. One well, I think we already mentioned was um, great to see Alex Brundle back. Yes, and, uh, and indeed there'll be uh, an interview with Alex, uh, uh, our good friend, and 21 this week, by the way, uh, young Stephen Kilby. Um, not as quite as young as he used to be, uh, caught up with uh, with Alex as he basically ran around like a blue arse fly trying to get his um, his visa sorted. But mm. two new names to certainly prototype racing, um, one of whom has caused a degree of controversy, but I think Tim's got something to say on this one, uh, and that is uh, the replacement for Vincent Caballier, whose six-race con- uh, six contract with Signetic Alpine is up, and he is going to be replaced in the... Uh, 36 car uh, for Shanghai by Tom Dillman. And Tom has some uh, CV behind him uh, with Carlin, I think, and writes uh, in I'm Formula Renault 3.5. Uh, done some GP2, uh, some well, GP3 Colin's racing. Team. Had, yeah. Yep. Uh, he's had three seasons um, in three. GP2, which included, I think, a sprint race win, Tim. He did have a race win um, in 2013, yeah. The, the thing, the thing about the this, the thing about this is that everybody's getting themselves excised about this because he's done some single-seater racing and because he's been paid. There's nothing in the regulations that says anything about people being paid to do what they do or not well, having to take money. There is something about money, which is that if you're paid by a manufacturer in the WEC, then you're a professional driver. Yes. And therefore, you have to be gold or yes. higher. Yes, that that is true. But, in, but if you're in, paid to race in anything else by someone who or by someone who's not a manufacturer, then you're not automatically gold. And defined paid. I, th- I think the I think the the two issues here. Number one is, it would appear that Tom Dillman um, is you know within the letter of the law absolutely fine to be a silver. Well, people How... need to go and read the regulations, yeah, Graham, yeah. before they start getting arsy however, about it. However, however. The question should be asked, is it correct that someone has raced in the two support categories for uh, the Grand Prix calendar? Is it correct that that person is rated in exactly the same way as, let's say, for instance, Simon Dolan? Yes, but he's, he finished 15th, 10th and 19th in he his three race. In his, in his three, in his three seasons. Yes, one race. He did, out of 22 that season. 
yeah. and out of a potential 66 that he's raced in. Beating from memory, uh, Brendan Hartley. Um, I could go down the list somewhere, but uh, there I think I'm right in saying there are at least three current LMP1 drivers that he beat in that race. Mm. I, I, the, the, the problem is that by the, by the regulations as they're written, he's perfectly acceptable as no, a no, silver. No, no, no I, I, I completely accept that. I think the question again comes around, how many times, you know, we've been round and round and round about the regulations to do with silver drivers in particular. But the regulations are there. People just have yep. to read them. And, it's, and I, I keep right. saying, you can argue about whether the categories are correct or not. What you can't do is argue that Tom Dillman is, as the categories stand, he's I'm a silver driver. That. I'm arguing that in the slightest, John. What I'm saying is it does reopen it again and certainly there are machinations around in the paddock i think we're going to be hearing far more of that in the next 24 48 hours well you and i are going to have our ears bent well the, there in, is in terms, if you compare him with other drivers who are silver michael meadows is a silver driver i wouldn't yeah. say that he was any better as a driver than michael meadows mm-hmm. michael meadows hasn't done gp2 and gp3 no, but he's won uh, the Porsche Carrera Cup, for example. Yep. No, again, it's it, the problem. I thought the is... Carrera Cup was one of the championships that was mentioned. That Super Cup. Super Cup. Uh, although Not actually, Carrera the rules Cup. changed this no, year. No, no. I think. Say about Carrera Cup this I year. I think. I think if you've won Carrera Cup, you've got to be a gold. What does it say now? Yes, if you've won a major national Porsche Carrera Cup, you're a gold driver. So. Yeah. Uh, Actually, Michael, Michael Meadows should be gold. Yeah. Oh, well, Michael Meadows probably is a gold now because they're silver. He probably is silver. now, actually, yeah. Robinson is now Patterson. Yeah, that's a fair point. I, I, you know, the only thing that I ask is that the regulations are applied um, consistently across championships. And yeah. if, there's, if there's a set of regulations that say, for example, um, you haven't finished in the top three of a championship and name those championships, which is what these regulations say. You haven't won a national F3 or Formula Atlantic or whatever. If you've won a national Formula 3 championship, uh, it says here, silver driver, a driver who has finished in first place in the general classification of a regional or national championship or international series. So the fact that Tom Dillman won the German Formula 3 championship still puts him as a silver. Mm, That's interesting. For what it's worth, here's my view. I think it's inconceivable that a driver capable of winning a race, which is the the defined next step down from Formula One, should be a silver. I find it inconceivable that a driver who is capable, who is who is is uh, that level of ability, should be rated as a silver. It's as simple as that. Why? Because really, to win in GP2. You, the, well, the, the reality is you should be beating people who are capable of racing. Depends how good the team is. Football, well, no, but it depends how good a year it is, I guess, John. Well, but I think yes, if we were that's to look true, at, If we were to look at that race results, I'll bet you, and I'm not looking at the race result right now, but I'll bet you that he beats uh, a galaxy of well-known stars. Over the course of that season, there mm-hmm. were 11 different race winners in GP2. Mm. So what was um, going on that season? Which is the season where he won his race. Mm. Um, yep. Out of 
How many teams were there that year? 22 mm. races. There were 11 different... There's 13 teams. So Wow. So nearly half the grid won a race that year. Um, and as we say, he finished... Uh, where did he finish in the championship? 16th, something like that. 10th that year, didn't 10th he? 10th that year. That was his best year. Yes. Sorry, that, was that wasn't the year that he won at all. Sorry, that was the year where he got two podium finishes. He finished 10th. In the championship. Well, there you go. Here's who he beat. He, um, that he year, he beat John Lancaster, Mitch uh, Evans, Hartley, um, Max Chilton, Nat Berton. What, in that race? No. Yes. Uh, yes. Or in I the championship? Know. Let's, let's go to that race. So, 2012 was when he won his race. No, see, you can't take a single race. You can't, because you don't know uh, the circumstances. And that um, was that a reverse grid race, or was that a proper race? Sprint race. Right, reverse so that's grid. a short race. Yep. So it was a reverse grid race. So, so he got pole... Um, so he got pole by becoming 10th. By or 8th, or whatever it is. Or 6th, okay, yeah. right, okay. See, honestly, I think you've got to be very careful. I I defend all the time the criteria for driver talent because um, a lot of people talk about people who've been paid, about be- people who are paying about people who are, quote, pro or, quote, am. And really, that's got nothing to do with it because it's, you know, ultimately define that. I've never paid to get in a racing car in my life. Does that make me a pro or an am? People pay a lot of money, and he may well have paid a lot of money to be in that car the year that he raced because that's what happens in junior formula. Mitch Evans paid well, to be well, in that car. I, mean, I, I, I agree, John. Look, the, the, I think the problem is it's still a very open debate, and that's the problem, isn't it? The problem is that it's it's a movable feast. And what's he but done any, since, by the way? Uh, uh, he did the season of uh, Formula Renault 3.5 um, and finished seventh overall or something like that. Mm. Uh, yeah, seventh overall, no race wins. Uh, one He's fastest lap. Let's put it that way. No, and, and one thing I don't agree with is just because you haven't raced for a while, automatically you get regraded. I think that your previous convictions should be taken into account <laughs> effectively. I think previous, it's, like, it's, it's like, about it's like experience. It's like, any, it's like, like any real set, John, it is a matter of finding where the nips, the tucks, um, the, the cracks in the pavement are. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And of course... There's, there's more than a cottage industry. I mean, I think you were you there? No, no. It was uh, it was the golf twelve hours, and a gentleman walked up to me and said to me, uh, and I quote, "Can you put me in touch with any fake bronzes?" Well, no. I mean, I get people talking to me all the time, and it's a conversation I need to have with you off the air, Graham, about people who are graded as silver. I know a couple of silver drivers at the moment um, who are quite experienced and when they told me that they were graded as silver by the FIA I was very shocked now mm-hmm. one of them won't be that next year but for the rest of this season he is a silver driver and therefore is you know a very good commodity mm-hmm. um, and I, you know in a sport that looks into the into the gaps, as you've rightly said, in regulations as much as we do, in terms of sporting regulations, in terms of technical regulations. The fact that people can go, oh, hang on a minute, this guy hasn't finished in the top three of this, this and this. He hasn't won one of these. He hasn't won 
Carrera Cup. He hasn't done this, he hasn't done that. That means he must be a silver. Right, let's get him on board. It'll only, you know, it's only going to work for a year, but let's get him on board. Why is that any different from working out that you can change your spring rates or your suspension pickups or change what's in your tyres and it doesn't have to be air? I think, you know, we're being a bit disingenuous here. No, no, I don't don't think so. I think the the reality is it's, it's like so many things, John. It's the spirit and the wording. There's mm. nothing wrong with what people are doing here, but the spirit of the of the regulations is that it's supposed to be right. You know, a there, there is one thing different, and, yep. and I was going to say this, um, the, the, except that it's people's livelihoods, and mm. that's what people come and talk to me about all the time. And I do accept that, and I do think that that is difficult. That once you you know, once you get graded as a gold or a platinum driver, then, you know, you have to be able to make a living out of it. Um, because at that point, you're not going to get a um, courtesy drive, if you will, uh, because you're a silver who's pretty quick. And I and I understand, or a bronze even, who's pretty quick. But OK, let's, let's move on from that. Um, also uh, new this weekend, uh, aside from Mr. Dillman, Another uh, driver have... from GP2. Yes, oddly <laughs> enough. Uh, Matteo Tusha. Um, and is which... he graded silver by any chance? I'm not sure, is the honest answer. But uh, he's Johnny Rebellion uh, for the final two races of the season. Instead of I... or as well as? No, instead of Daniel Apt. Uh, Daniel Apt is going to be concentrating on his Formula E um, responsibilities. And is that what Rebellion step... said? That's what Rebellion said. Do you want to hear what Daniel Apt said? I will unfortunately no longer race for at Rebellion Racing, this is on Twitter obviously, thanks for everything guys Um, and then later wrote, was not my intention to leave Ah, that's rather a shame isn't it Yeah, don't like to hear that Um, This is another Swiss driver John Yeah, well, uh, they're taking over, no Earl Bamba in China No Earl Bamba in China, no no bamboo for Bamba. So who is... Is it Klaus Bachelor who's back? Klaus Bachelor is indeed back. The Bachelor boy yep. uh, is back aboard the 88 car. Uh, the other big change, though, and yes. a late change, is that we've got one fewer car, John. Yes. And that is because Aston Martin Racing, uh, in a move which they say um, has been predicated by the sponsor, has withdrawn the 95 Dane train and this, um, I'm reading this as a direct protest about the continued lack of competitiveness of the cars uh, following a pretty major balance of performance change. And I think I'm right in saying that we have not had any of the three Aston Martin V8 Vantage GTEs on the podium in GTE Pro since Spa. Mm. Stuart Hall um, was fast early on uh, put a couple of Ferraris behind him in the 96 car didn't he uh, that great battle early on in, in Fuji GTM has uh, been I think it's fair to say has been a little different uh, I mean okay you know we saw the 98 car win the first two races of the season and comprehensively led the modern till Paul Delano's whoopsie but um, it certainly does appear that the balance of performance has, has had an unfortunate effect but, um, yeah, the, the cars seem quick at the start of the race, but cannot maintain it. Mm. Uh, and I think that's about it for you, Graham. I found um, out that uh, Matteo Tuscher was uh, given a silver classification last year by uh, 
the ACO, so whether he remains silver now, I don't know. doesn't matter if he's in P1, though. No. No, indeed. But it would just be interesting to say that, wouldn't it? Uh, he has the... uh, more sports car experience in that he has actually got some sports car experience uh, than Tom Dillman, of course. Mm. Yeah, um, experience and results. That's uh, I, I accept that that's what it should be Always. about. Uh, I'll see you in China, mate. Absolutely. See you there, pal. Cheers, fella. All the news from across the pond. If it happens over there, hear about it here. Midweek Motorsport. Uh, good evening to Marshall Pruitt. Evening, all. <laughs> you get, you're claiming that as your own now, aren't you? Um, it looks like we might have a bit of extra time tonight, but it's always worth it when we're speaking to MP. Um, let's start off with some calendar news from you and IndyCar's calendar. Uh taking shape more than that in fact and uh, Tim I think we've got a bit of uh, a bit of audio from the man at the top of IndyCar have we not? Yes Mark Miles the CEO of Holman Motorsports the man at the very top of IndyCar and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway uh, was uh, giving a little press conference yesterday this is what he had to say I think the 2016 season is really defined by the 100th running of the Indianapolis 500 uh, the the IndyCar series is all about history, and there certainly is no better example, in my mind, uh, in, in, in epic motorsports than the Indianapolis 500-mile race. The uh, That event is legendary, and we're pleased that we can also, with the 2016 schedule, welcome a couple of historic tracks, uh, Road America and Phoenix. Half of the venues on our schedule... Uh, for 2016 have hosted 25 or more IndyCar races. They further our rich heritage, and I think they speak to uh, to the staying power and now the growing popularity of IndyCar racing. Uh, so, MP, pick the bones out of that then. Uh, IndyCar and the the calendar. I'm not, I'm not sure there's any real surprises there, are there? No. I think the big surprise, Hindy... And granted, I say this with the with many grains of salt. Uh, I can't find a lot to complain about. Granted, this is IndyCar, so we know that, uh, of course, ex- the experts on the Internet will find lots to complain about because that's just America's open-wheel tradition. But that, to me, is a big surprise, though, at least from someone inside the series. There's not much to bark about. If anything, I think they've done a great job. And that hasn't been something we could say about recent IndyCar calendars. Hindy, right? With the end before Labor Day, don't intermingle our mm. dates with the beginning of uh, the American football season and some of the other things that have led to brutally compact schedules. This, I think, is uh, is there's not much I can complain about. I know where to go. We know where to go for the races. Uh, some of the ones that didn't have exact dates put on them, racers Robin Miller uh, was frankly put out this schedule as a speculative item and I think hit every single one about a month ago. So great highlights, Hindy, of uh, consistency with the season opener at St. Petersburg, consistency with the championship closer at Sonoma. Just moved back a couple of weeks this year. It was August 30, next year it's September 18, so that's great. Boston is September 4th, which we uh, knew about, so mm-hmm. two dates in September. That's brand new for IndyCar. Working back, I don't know, Heidi, does this, when I look at August, 
Does this remind you of F1 a little bit with the mm. uh, late summer break? There's one race in August at Pocono, and other than that, I guess we should start scheduling our vacations right now. But he yeah. said he didn't want to clash with the Olympics next year. Do you think that's a genuine reason? No. Uh, because I know that they were hoping to have more. They were even, until ABC Supply, which is also the sponsor and the longtime sponsor of the AJ Foyt team, stepped up to return as the sponsor for Pocono. They were actually looking at having all of August off, and it wasn't by choice. It's because they just simply didn't have any dates uh, from any tracks that were willing to step in. So uh, there was, at least for everything that I know, what's gone on behind the scenes, Tim, uh, there was no intentional aversion to Olympic-based stuff. There were some other options. Uh, going back to St. Louis, to the Gateway Track, was Ooh. an option. I do know that there were concerns about the ability to televise that event due to uh, uh, Olympic bits. And there was even you know, questions of, well, could we live stream it? And I don't know if we look at some of the metrics coming out of uh, the various sports car properties, guys, that we uh, we love dearly and some of those streaming numbers. I would imagine that could succeed, but that ultimately fell by the wayside. So uh, I look at that, Hindy. I look at many of the other staples are back. Mid-Ohio, Toronto, Iowa, Texas, doubleheader at Detroit, the only doubleheader on the schedule. The 100th running of the Indianapolis 500. The Grand Prix of Indy in May as well. Barber Motorsports Park, which is turning into one of IndyCar's uh, most celebrated events. Long Beach. Then we look at the new events, and granted, uh, there is one new, never-run-before event at Boston, uh, but then the other two, the return, the re returnees to open wheel, Phoenix, uh, that'll be the uh, second race in the championship, April 2nd. Can't wait. I haven't been there, Heidi. I, I think mm. it was 2001. It's been a long time. I was a lot mm. thinner and had more hair. Uh, <laughs> and then also Road America, good old Elkhart Lake, which we, again, have been blessed on the ALMS side, Grand Am side, uh, IMSA side. Now, well, we have IndyCar going back uh, where it belongs. So that I one expect of my favorites, a huge hit. Uh, What's that together? I said it was always one of my favorites, uh, Road America. Uh, Road so, America and IndyCar is just, it's Nirvana, isn't it? I mean, it just works. Can we dream, Hindy, about a uh, combined WEC IndyCar weekend sometime in the future? I mean, while we're talking about things we want, that's something I'd love to see. How about uh, a good, uh, I don't know, uh, what, two-and-a-half-hour IndyCar race, and then a uh, switch over for a nice six-hour WC sprint into the night. Bratwurst uh, fill in mm. the air. That'd be, uh, that'd be a lot of fun. What's the lighting like there? Is there flood lighting so you could have a night race? No. Who, who cares? You've got headlights. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, for all the blindness that goes on at Le Mans, trying to stumble around in the yeah, dark to find exactly. most corners on my own, I know that uh, you know the headlights are fairly powerful uh, on the on the prototypes and GT cars. So hey, four four miles in the, the middle of Wisconsin, that should be a problem. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's just a brilliant uh, brilliant circuit. Um, I, I love that place. I, I, I love it in a very real, but very manly way. I just, you know, I, I want to say that. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. We're heading into overtime tonight with Marshall Pruitt uh, here on the show from racer.com. And don't forget, after this show, Tim has promised that we will replay the 10th anniversary special that went out on our 10th birthday on Monday 
the 26th of October. Can you believe? Ten years. Uh, that's it, just that... the committee motorsport. Yes, that's true. Obviously, we've, we've all been broadcasting for a lot longer than that. Yeah, it just doesn't feel like it for some of us. And some of us haven't learned as much. Uh, I says Heindorf, putting his hand up. Um, <laughs> I think you've l- learned an incredible amount about junior single-seater racing from me. Yes, you have. That, that I have, rather. That's that's very true. When I, In fact, funny enough, when I listened back to some of that call my hoof, I was going, how did we not know these names? But, of course... It's that eight was eight years, years on. ago, yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. These, these people are now all racing at Le Mans. <laughs> yes, exactly. Call my huff revisited, we need to do. Uh, anyway, before we let Marshall go tonight and we round this show off, the first in the hopefully next ten years, um, ten more years, uh, let's talk a little bit about sports car racing. Uh, IMSA and the United Sports Car Championship soon to become the WeatherTech Championship. Uh, World Championship of Sports Car Racing Thingies. What's it called? IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. IWISC is what it's going to be called. Provided uh, uh, nothing blows up. Yes, I think everything <laughs> will be perfectly fine. Yes, exactly right. Um, and already people looking ahead, even beyond 2016 towards 2017. It's a big year next year, no doubt, but in 17 more changes. And... I think you've got to say one of, if not the preeminent Daytona prototype team is in the news again, looking ahead to secure their future, Marshall. Yeah, I had a great conversation with Action Express racing team manager Gary Nelson, who also nice uh, heads the Coyote, Coyote uh, manufacturer, produces their fine Daytona prototypes they've been winning with. And yeah, they're... Of among three of Chevrolet's Corvette DP teams, they've obviously won the last two championships running, been the the most dominant team, I would say, at the uh, endurance events, the ones to beat. And so if I'm looking at Action Express, I'm looking at Wayne Taylor Racing, which won the mm-hmm. final Grand Am Rolex Series DP championship in a Corvette, and the Spirit of Daytona slash Visit Florida.com racing team that nearly won this year's championship in a Corvette. You'd say that uh, General Motors, uh, Mark Kent and company have some great options in front of them uh, for 2017, provided they go forward. Now, you and I both know, Heindy, that uh, yeah. our friends at... Uh, Chevy Racing have yet to confirm if they will uh, return for 2017. We also know, just from folks that we know, that uh, the talk of a Cadillac-badged Dallara P2 with uh, using a twin-turbo version of the engine that's in Cadillac's Pirelli World Challenge GT3 cars has been uh, more than rumored to be uh, their choice for 2017, again, provided that all goes forward. The big question mark has been, all right, so what would they do? If provided they're back, what do they do? Do they keep going with the same three teams, the the scattershot approach mm-hmm. of uh, spreading cars, spreading the wealth, and then obviously that's led to plenty of success? Do they say, well, you know, we're going to put all of our emphasis behind one team, uh, pick one of those three, Action Express, Wayne Taylor, Spirit of Daytona, or would they maybe do something similar to their Corvette racing program? Uh, have Pratt and Miller spool up a, a pure direct factory prototype team and take on uh, pro- uh, prototype challengers in P2. I can tell you that at least from the Action Express angle, they don't know what manufacturer they will be partnered with in 2017. They hope 
it's Chevy slash Cadillac slash whatever you want to call it. Yes. The interesting thing I keep hearing, and I've had more than one person confirm, is uh, Sirius has been doing a little bit of help searching for oh. manufacturers to possibly, I don't know if I want to say partner directly with Action Express, but at least you know using their, their name out there. Yeah. Yeah using the series level of influence and connections wow. to bring more manufacturers in. And uh, yeah, again, I'm not, I'm not putting words in Gary's mouth. Uh, I'm just stating this from what I have heard, but uh, I don't know if uh, they are hundred percent confident they would get a contract to keep using general motors uh, equipment in 2017. I, again, I think they would be the natural choice based yes. on the success they've had so far, but at least at this point, you know, we're not even into 2016 yet, but the lack of confirmation from Chevy, the lack of if they do return, would it be using all three, just one who might be on the outside? I think we're starting to see the first hints of uh, the remaining Corvette DP teams start to look at other options in case they have to yes, go elsewhere. Yes, yes. In fairness, though, we haven't had any takers so far officially for the IMSA view of 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 sports car racing, of prototype sports car racing in, in 2017 and beyond. Um, it, it's not as though original equipment manufacturers, um, you know, Ford, GM, Honda, whoever, haven't stepped forward the uh, and 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 said, "Yep, we're going to have a P2 car. We've got." Um, you know, we're going to have a, uh, a set of bodywork. We're going to have a GT3 engine in the back of it. So, whilst we're saying we haven't heard anything from GM, we frankly haven't heard anything from anybody yet. And I kind of understand that because we, we're still probably six months from a go-no-go no go for, for any of these projects, aren't we? Very true. The only one we've heard, and granted, I don't know if I've actually heard them say mention the year 2017, mm. but we have heard our friends at Mazda, very uh, good specifically point. John Doonan, repeatedly good say it's a five-year program. Yes. So obviously 2017 falls within that. Uh, we do know that they've been active testing. They were at Sebring last week with Ford. Um running their gas turbo engine and, mm. and logging more miles there in their Multimatic built P2 chassis alongside Multimatic running the Multimatic built for GTs with our friends at Ganassi. So ah, course, they certainly yes. wouldn't be there, uh, you know, preparing for big things in 2016, going this new direction with the uh, engines and such, uh, if they were indeed planning to get out sooner or before 2017. Yeah. So I think we know Mazda's there. A uh, recent conversation with Scott Atherton, which I haven't put into print yet, but I will hear shortly, uh, mentioned that there have been, I said, hey, Scott, we haven't heard a lot about 2017 prototype and new manufacturers. Uh, can you either give me any hints or give me a general idea of uh, what kind of subscription you're, you're getting or interest you're getting on subscriptions there? And he said, as usual, I would not expect Scott to put names on no. any of the, the brands. But he did say he was really surprised, we in the media – haven't gotten more sniffs and whiffs and and such of some of the uh, brands that have come to IMSA to inquire. So uh, for as long as you and I have known Scott, he's not one to throw no a challenge uh, down like that water for no reason. Yeah. So yeah, th I'll tell you that one got me thinking, Heidi. Like, 
Okay, who haven't I spoken to? Who do I need to call? Because if you know, if Atherton's saying there's there's something there, but I don't know about it, well, dang it. I need to find well, out. I, I, you know, in, in in fairness, you know, we know that Bentley have had a long, hard look at it, um, and and will, I, I have a, a a strong and sad suspicion that that will have gone away with the broader VW group issues at the moment. Uh, in in fact, I'm fairly certain that that is the case, and. I think we've probably lost a, a Bentley single mate series as well um, yeah. out out of that uh, kerfuffle that we've had there from from the road car side, the street car side of things. Um, we know that Honda is still interested in in doing something, um, although how that would work with them having their own chassis uh, as well, um, I I think that is certainly one to look at. You've got to think about Ford and GM, and whilst you know nobody said anything about that uh the uh, i think you know that those are two manufacturers gotta wonder what chrysler are doing as well mp in the states because you know sadly we hear it's the end of the viper coming soon and you know what are they gonna have for their for their sports program you know and they've had success and they have followers in endurance racing and I, I just wonder if something might pop out of the woodwork there as well. We heard uh, two years ago, I believe, Heindy, that uh, Fiat hmm? was looking at IndyCar, for example. Yeah. This was while the uh, factory Viper GTLM program was running strong. Mm-hmm. And that went nowhere. Uh, obviously, Alfa Romeo's been mentioned in the past as well from the same group. And they've got a huge year for streetcars next year with, I think, six new models being launched and uh, still talking about being represented once again in the US you know would that make sense for them absolutely it would have they got the wherewithal not sure um i, I keep hearing Heidi and have heard for at least 18 months on the frankly both on the uh, aco slash lamont and imsa side about more than one korean auto manufacturer yes. being in, uh, interested that so, wouldn't surprise me at all yeah, uh, but we're we're in that cool phase where it's fun to talk about. We don't necessarily have a lot of concrete stuff. And I guess to quickly wrap the Action Express thing, uh, Gary Nelson and uh, Bob Johnson, who owns a team, I mean, they're not the only current uh, entrant in prototype looking at manufacture options. Troy yep. Fleece, who uh, owns the Spirit of Daytona team, has told me on the record in an interview a few months ago that uh, they were looking at options, could even move to a P2 in 2016. Mm-hmm. I've heard that's very unlikely, um, if not off the table altogether. But yeah, we know that, uh, I mean, Wayne Taylor, I haven't spoken with Wayne. Wayne, unfortunately, has uh, lost his father this week. Uh, oh, was no. at his sons, uh, yeah, saw Jordan Taylor's tweet flying home. Uh, they were in South Africa. So Wayne's father had been sick for a little while. Um, oh, condolences yeah, so, to the family. Haven't spoken with Wayne in a little while, but, uh, you know, they all have long-standing ties. I expect one of the three, if not more, to get a GM contract, provided GM goes forward. But, again, that does lead to the interesting question of if they don't get a seat in the dance <laughs> with GM, who's going to pick them up? Mazda, right? We know Ma- uh, you can assume yeah. that Mazda's history of supplying customer teams, yeah. at least with engines, yeah. uh, ha- might have, you know, could be on the But here's the thing, MP. Engines. engine's not the problem because yep. – GT3 engines are a plenty 
out there. Yeah. There are, what, 14, 15 different manufacturers and marks that are out there that supply GT3 engines. And it's not beyond the wit of man to bang that into a current or a 2017-compliant uh, P2 chassis. The issue will be getting somebody to pay for bodywork if you don't want to run the standard bodywork. And when we were talking about DPs, they were talking about anything between 800 and 1.2 million dollars, um, which you know, in the big scheme of things, is is not a lot of money to do the uh, to do the wind tunnel work to get bespoke bodywork on a car. Um, and for a manufacturer, if you're supporting that, that's that's nothing. That's the kind of money you lose down the back of a sofa. You know, you lose that on your catering. I like sandwiches. that sofa, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Mm, indeed. But, you know, engines, I don't see as an issue because there will be engines out there that you will be able to go and buy. And I expect to see it, those manufacturers of GT3 cars who have got a bit of nous about them to seeing... Uh, well, you know, if you want to buy one of our engines and put it in the back of a prototype car, you can do that and we'll support you. Uh, we'll give you some technical, but, you know, we might not have the money for, for... Not all of those will have the money for bespoke manufacturer body parts, but, yeah, it's still it's still an interesting one. Um, wh- while we're talking about stories that are going on and on, Ford, normally we talk about Ford and drivers and we've still got plenty of, of unknown... Un, we've got plenty of known unknowns uh, in that situation. But last week at this time, you and I were talking about them testing at Sebring. And uh, that was another step forward um, with a beautiful carbon fibre car. Saw some pictures of it and a little bit of video as well. And they continue to move forward. They've done a lot of testing miles now. And... They've now had half the year where they've been testing with Michelin's confidential tyres, and that seems to be going very well for them. Absolutely. Uh, spoke with Mike Hall, who's the managing director of everything at Chip Ganassi Racing, and <laughs> was there for Is the Is that test. what it's here on, the, on his yeah. business card? Managing director, everything. Yeah, yeah. I, I like that. Want, I want to have a business card that just says, the man. <laughs> Either that or good at business, although that's not an original idea. Um yeah, Mike was uh, there in Sebring for the test. Actually, at the same time, Tony Kanon was testing at Phoenix uh-huh. in uh, one of Ganassi's Chevy-powered Indy cars. So there were dual tests going on, good things happening at both. At Sebring specifically, it was good to catch up with Mike uh, just about the test in general. Also broke off and spoke a little bit about uh, what it was like to work with Michelin for the first time, and not mm. at Sebring for the first no, time. No, 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 no. Sebring wasn't their first time, but uh, they've worked with uh, Continental and the previous, you know, under previous names and banners uh, when they were in Grand Am. Worked with them for a really long time, so they have a long and great relationship with them. Just said, hey, what's it like uh, switching over to a new supplier in, menu- in uh, sports cars? And uh, had lots of great stuff to say. Said it was just fantastic to uh, come in and have the Michelin people there with the tire pressure set and the tires ready to go. They're like, yes. we've never really had that before. Someone, you know, <laughs> handing us ready-to-go tires. That was great. Can you just the, try uh, this for us, please, and tell us what you think of it? Exactly. Mm. So so that uh, 
that was fun to talk with him about that. And it was also interesting, uh, just, I guess, to very quickly wrap, Heidi, it was mm-hmm. interesting to hear from some of uh, our trusted sources in and around uh, that portion of Florida while the test was going on about uh, who they spotted, because that's, frankly, that's a big part of the the, uh, the silly season, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, driver spotting who's going to drive for Ford. Uh, we've obviously been talking about Ryan Briscoe as someone we expect to uh, be a, a full-time driver there. Interesting to hear from uh, multiple sources now that uh, one Dirk Muller was mm. uh, at the track. Uh, that well, that was jo- a name that, that you know we sort of hinted at that, and and I think we've spoken about that on this program before. Certainly, Petit Le Mans, Dirk's name had had come up in the mix. Now, in fairness, many names have come up in the mix, but yep. what we've tried to do on this program is not just blanketly mention everybody and hope that the six drivers for the States and the six drivers for, for the WEC are amongst them. We, you know, we've tried to keep our comments down to the people that we know, but I, I, I think that's interesting. And of course, that would put them together with somebody who knows very well in, in Joey Hand. Exactly. The two of them, former BMW teammates and also great friends. Yes. If you think about the work they did together, yes. uh, both victory, championship, you name it, uh, jo- the Joey and Dirk show was really, really powerful in the ALMS. So the the thought of seeing those two together, the thought of hearing that Dirk was there in Sebring, uh, again, I wasn't there, so I'm having to go off of sources. But provided all that lines up, uh, that I think that could be a really... I think we might have one of the uh, two lineups uh, sourced for the American side. Uh, also heard that uh, Ryan Briscoe was spotted there. Yeah, makes uh, sense. And which I think that's probably been a, a foregone conclusion for a little while. Uh, but also uh, another friend of the show was reportedly uh, seen there as well. And uh, if that comes to fruition, I think we would have a pretty pretty powerful lineup along with some endurance drivers oh you tease i thought you were going to say who that was i'll leave that up to you no 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 i served it up swing away it's not that's not my story that's your story fair enough all right i was trying to you know equal time heard uh heard our dear friend marino franchiti uh was spotted there Mm. uh, i'm hoping that's true because if it is Keep in mind that Marino uh, was part of the uh, winning driving squadron yes, for Ford and Ganassi at Sebring in 2014 uh, and was credited by uh, Ganassi our team manager Mike O'Gara for his excellent drive at night to help seal that victory. You know, so provided you... all those things line up, I mean, that that's Hand, Mueller, Frankiti, Briscoe, that's sounding pretty strong. It's starting Seth to get powerful, Bourdais. isn't it? Yeah, uh, Seth Bourdais routinely mentioned as uh, uh, likely or very possible. Here's the thing. I think Marino would be a good hire, not just because um, I really need him to get a Le Mans win so he can sign um, sign the Porsche and, and put another five grand on it. Um, but, um, uh, but there is a man who knows how to develop a car, who knows how to develop tyres. And, and, you know, let's remember we were talking about Brian Sellers as well uh, in that. Uh, and let's hope that Brian uh, finds a, a seat there. But Marino also has downforce experience. And some of those other guys have got downforce experience. And we're talking about a car here that is a GT in category, but in its philosophy and its design is far closer, MP, to a prototype, and I think that's uh, I, I think that's pretty good. Um, it would make good sense um, if 
you know, people who've got that kind of dual exposure to GTs and downforce cars were part of that team. Because I think what we've got here, in the broadest sense of the word, not in the powertrain side, is a hybrid GT stroke downforce car. I think that car will be making a lot more downforce than any of the other more traditional GT LM cars. Moreno, for me, would be a very, 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 very sensible hire, if I'm honest. Uh, and I think that's about it uh, for MP tonight. So can we let MP go, Tim? Or we have you can. got something else? Excellent. Marshall, thank you uh, for being with us and thank you for being patient tonight. We had a lot to slide in and a lot of ranting about MotoGP uh, this evening. So thank you and uh, speak to you next week, brother. Thanks, mate. Marshall Prowitt of Racer.com. Don't forget to make that one of your favourites uh, as he will be adding to that. And, uh, well, we've started the next 10 years well into overtime, Tim. Is that the lot for tonight or do you want to squeeze something else in? No, we don't have a pointless press release of the week this week and right. we don't have news in Spanish. Right. So I thought we had to bring back Gary Paffitt's win of the week. <laughs> now... It was only last week, wasn't it, John, that we were discussing, not on air, I don't think, but we were discussing that uh, after it was exposed by uh, one of our listeners on Twitter, uh, Gary Pavitt stopped whinging. Yes, in fact, his whinge of the week was tweeted back to him, I think, by one of our listeners, who, in fairness, did put their hand up to that. Yes. so Gary Paffett uh, then stopped whinging, but uh, mm-hmm. he's fallen back into the habit. And we've picked it up straight away. Yes, because we're watching. We're always watching. We're wa- we we have got more tentacles out there, and we're much, watching more emails and and media accounts than Well, remember that the responsible anyone. adult does have 1,200 different columns on her tweet deck. <laughs> yes, it's a very wide screen. <laughs> So what has Gary been whinging about this week? Well, just remind, uh, for people who don't know who Gary Paffett is, just uh, remind people uh, what he drives and who for. Gary Paffett, we we have said this in the past, Gary Paffett is probably one of the biggest losses to Formula Motorsport ever. He was the next big thing, was he not? He was going to Formula One and he, he sort of got diverted, did a lot of test driving for... Uh, McLaren Mercedes as they were then yes. and then got he, he, he got sort of sidetracked uh, into DTM and has never got out of it has he he's been in that vortex ever since he drives a Mercedes in the DTM yes he does Yeah. Uh, and the title was won by manufacturer's title was won by uh, Mercedes no it was won by BMW was it really okay. yes I ha- I'm afraid I haven't really... I know the Pascal Verline won the championship. Yes. He said that uh, BMW had the worst car. Oh, dear. And that they only won the title uh, because of uh, success ballast. Oh, dear. That is a bit of a whinge of the week. No offence to BMW, said Gary. <laughs> Just in case I, I really need to... Uh... Uh, get a drive with you sometime in the future. But they won the Constructors' Championship with the worst car this year, so, you know, it doesn't really tell the full story. Mm. Uh, the Drivers' Championship does tell the full story, though. Uh, the guy who won it, Pascal, uh, who's yeah. a Mercedes driver, obviously, did the best job of everyone all year. 
Who uh, said that? That was uh, Gary still. All right, okay. He thinks that drivers should uh, be involved in changing the rules for 2016. Yeah, okay. Uh, he, his quote was, As drivers, we know what we want, and I think we have a really good idea of what improves the show. I think that's what we need. Really? What tends to happen when you give drivers control of the rules? Right. First of all, drivers never read rules. Never, ever, ever. They never know the rules. They complain bitterly about stuff and then realise that they're complaining about something that either is legal or illegal, which is normally always the exact opposite of how they've been arguing, Mm. really. Hmm. Every so often you do find a driver who has read the rules and exploits the fact that they have read the rules. Yes, and and good luck to them for doing that. Hmm. Uh, so that's uh, Gary Pappas Winch of the Week. Uh, and I think we can probably say goodbye to him ever racing for BMW. Uh, indeed so. Uh, so, as I mentioned, the next 10 years of Midweek Motorsport have started uh, with excessive overtime. The responsible adult, E. Hewitt, will undoubtedly be on our case immediately. But thanks to all of our regular contributors tonight and to Tim Cray uh, for not only this evening, but the previous 10 years. And if you stay tuned, you will be able to hear that 10-year anniversary special that first went out on our birthday, Monday the 26th of October 2015. That's it for this edition of Midweek Motorsport. We'll be back to somewhere near normality or whatever that might be. Uh, Next week, 8 o'clock in the UK... Do your arithmetic yourself around the world because I've no idea when people's clocks are changing uh, for those that do. I do. Um, Everyone changed at the same time as us apart from the USA and Canada. When do they change though? Do they change this weekend or next weekend? I can't no, work out whether it's only... this weekend. It's usually two or three weeks. Isn't okay, it? fine. So it's probably going to be just four hours back. So it'll be four o'clock Eastern. Please check your local listings for details. And there's no time to explain because the llama has just bought a ten-year plan. This program is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.